and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for another film roundup of what we've been watching in cinemas and streaming services over the month of September. Joining me this podcast are my usual film aficionados, Scott Armour. I said I have murdered a man and I want to confess. Ah, okay. Casablanca you've seen then this month, I see. Uh, Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. And Gordon Webster. Good afternoon, Mr. Barry. Good afternoon, all. So, yes, of course, you know the script now. We're just going to go over what we've been watching in film, TV shows, and even older stuff in our look-back section, anything that was uh, obviously pre-2022. So, let's start, Scott, with Beast. (laughs) Uh, What's this? Who's this about? What's this? Uh, so it's about Operation U3 um, uh, uncovering Jimmy Savile. I'm only, I'm only kidding. Uh, this, no. Sorry, that's, that's it. That's it. Um, this is Idris Elba uh, starring with Shalto Copley. Um, and essentially the plot of this entire film is Idris Elba takes on a rogue man-eating lion. Okay. All right. So the beast is up the the line essentially. Um, it's not. I, I was kind of. I didn't really know what to expect going into it. I had seen one trailer. Um, I thought it was going to be very similar to the Ghost in the Darkness, the Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas film. Um, it's a lot simpler than that film. It literally is just Idris Elba goes to South Africa on a vacation with his two daughters there's some melodrama that tries to you know add in that extra human element but the two daughters don't really like Idris Elba split up with a mum and you know you you've kind of got that but at the end the film takes no time at all in getting to the actual um premise which is Idris Elba taking on um this line Hmm. so as simple as it is uh it's actually quite good. It's actually okay. Um, as I say, that that premise alone, you probably think, oh my God, direct-to-DVD movie type stuff. But um, I think the CGI, obviously for the line, it's not practical um, for obvious reasons. Uh, but the CGI was okay. Um, there was moments you could tell. But I think the, I think the, the director was clever in terms of how they used it. It wasn't always in shot. There was a lot of sort of camera work where Idris Elba or the or the, the the actors would be in shot, but you would kind of just see the silhouette of the lion in the background. Um, but it was only really when the lion was front and centre and like, for example, attacking the car, it, it you could tell it was CGI. Um, but I think the what I would draw reference to was a film Prey um, that I'd seen earlier on the year, um, and what I think that Prey didn't do so well. Um, that this film was was that was how they used the CGI animals because in Prey it's so CGI and it's right in front of you it's broad daylight and you could tell and it just doesn't look great and it actually detracts from Prey as a film um, but as I say in this it's actually it's actually used pretty well um, Idris Elba gives a really good performance stellar performance leading man um, Charlotte Copley uh, not a great deal to do in this film. Um, he's only in it for a for a small part, but when he is in it, he's actually quite good. He plays the uncle to the to the kids. Um, but 
the the character build is very short uh, and to be honest with you you don't really it doesn't mean anything you don't really care um the ending of the film is a bit silly uh but it still works it still works um can't say i'm familiar with this director baltazar cormacur never heard the director mm-hmm. um at all i'm not even i'm not even um aware of any previous work the only thing i can say is Despla. Despla. i don't know if you remember that from a previous podcast yes but yeah niche callback to a star <laughs> trek podcast or something like that uh, yeah but that, that that sort of name is in that vein isn't it the kind of who is this person? What an elaborate name this guy just has. Only or is, that, is that a guy? We just haven't heard of his his, his work. So uh, Balthazar, you say? Icelandic actor, theatre and film director. Film producer as well. So. Oh, he done uh, Everest. Oh, I don't yeah. know if he's, I, I if quite, Everest was decent. I didn't make Everest it. was actually quite good. What's his um, second name? Kormakur. Kormakur. Right. There we go. So what would you give this film, Scott? Um... I think it's. Uh, it, I don't think it was necessarily a four. Uh, I think going back into it, it that it really should have. There's a, there's there's themes in the film where it's the 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 for me I think they focus too much on the 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 human melodrama of the two daughters being distant from the dad and and there's that sort of background. I think they focus on that, but there's another element to it where it's. The, the the reason why this lion is doing what it's doing, um, and it's because of poachers, and I think if they focused more on that in terms of the the you know the lion's habitat, why this is happening, because at the end of the day, it's like oh, you, you kind of almost it's making it seem as if you're you're tense and scared and feel sorry for the humans that are in this situation, but at the same time, it's like well. The lions just reacting to people trying to kill them. I mean, in a way, the the lions like a hero going up against human beings that are, you know, have access yeah. to guns and cars and God knows what else. And this lion is on its own in it. It's a it's a strange one. It's like it's there. There is other lions. It's and I won't get into too much detail on how that kind of unfurls in the film. But yeah, I think I think it was just like part of me was like so you're you're making the lion out to be this aggressor, you know, beast, which obviously you've you got to respect them. They, they they could eat you in a heartbeat if you were in their territory and whatever, but I don't know. Kind of, not saying it done what Jaws done for Great White Sharks back in the 70s, but I, I would have preferred that if they, if they focused more on, well, why is the lion doing this? So you need to respect its, its environment, etc. Um. So I think for me, I would probably say a, a solid three. Okay. Solid three. Three so stars for yeah. Beast qualified recommendation for that film. Uh, you've also seen a, th- a film that Steve covered in the previous one, I think, but um, you weren't there for it, but you do want to weigh in a little on Thor, Love and Thunder, as well as Fran. I understand you have seen that film. So again, no spoilers, obviously, but uh, what's your thoughts on this film, guys? So I'll start with you, Scott. Um... I'd probably say from the... I don't necessarily think there was a hype train for this film, but I was definitely more interested to see the follow-up of uh, Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok, um, because I think in terms of the Thor films, I think that's definitely the strongest. Um, But I couldn't help but feel a bit 
empty and disappointed after watching this film um so steve I think... famously gave this a two-star review yeah um so that was the the first person who's reviewed it it's not had a written review but it was obviously reviewed on the on the previous podcast with two stars which is very low for uh the usual mcu films we've discussed that's usually up around like threes and four sometimes mm. five so what do you feel on the on the two at the time i was uh, obviously i hadn't seen it and at the time um, I think my reaction was really a two. Um, I think after watching it, I can completely understand why Steve would have would have gave it that. I don't think I would be as low. I think I would be at the three mark. Um, yeah, I, I, it didn't really for me. It just didn't really take any characters anywhere. I think Natalie Portman's Jane Foster is in it, but she's just again underused and underutilized. They deal with some really serious sort of topics in in the film um and i think christian bale is a really good he's a really good bad guy he could have been the next big bad over a a series of films um but everything is just overshadowed by just silly humor gags moving on to the next joke there's a serious topic but the whole time you're watching a scene the scene's set and you're kind of going right when's the joke when's the joke when's ah there's a joke there's a joke so yeah taika waititi is almost like he's sabotaging his own because you know he is kind of loved for that particular brand of humor that he has in his films and is it now a bit too much of that now it's too concentrated i I just think yeah i mean like there's there's nothing wrong with chris hemsworth hamming it up he excels in that sort of role i think he's really good at it um i just think that there's there's a time and a place for it um, and I think they just try and put it everywhere uh, in this film. Um, and it was disappointing at the start because obviously the trailers are led to Guardians of the Galaxy been in it, but they're in it so, so little right at the start. And it's just, it just, it just seems as if this was a missed opportunity to, to give us something, you know, really, really good. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I would, I would firmly say it's a three, but I can completely understand why Steve would would give it a two. It's an incredible cast, I got to say. I don't know, um, can't remember if Steve went into that at all, but um, quite a few return actors, isn't there? Like Matt Damon, Sam Neill. Um, is David Batista not in it as well? Well, I, clearly, he was clearly shot at a studio that just no one else was at because it's so awkwardly the way he's just standing, staring at the camera. But what I would say, um, I'm not saying that the humour doesn't hit there's a lot of comedic beats that hit especially the the um matt damon uh sam deal um and I, i'm not sure what hemsworth brother it is but it's it's it is a hemsworth brother look hemsworth, I think hemsworth that's it. um there, there is comedic beats that hit it's just too much that's 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 probably how i would sum it up okay fran what's your thoughts on this um yeah i mean i wasn't so happy about it i wasn't blown away by it i feel like the to, to kind of build upon the humor point i feel like it's become a little bit formulaic you know where you you sort of know as scott was saying when it's coming and i think as well i mean i was really pleased to see natalie portman retur- like returning and, and I, I think she actually i think the best bits of the film were the parts where she was kind of dealing with the the illness that she had and you know the, the and the relationship scenes as well i thought those were actually quite good getting a view a, a little bit of a view into a normal life there. and some of it 
you know, I think it would resonate with a lot of the audience because obviously loads of audience members will have had family members who've not been well and mm. have had relationships that break up and things like that. So it's something that people can connect with. And I think as well, the whole, the whole plot of kids being captured and taken away would very much have engaged the younger audience watching the film, feeling like they were part of the action as well. That being said, it felt like it felt like the cinematic version of Whiplash because you were kind of getting invested in these very emotional scenes, and then the next thing you know, it's all laughter and mm. jokes, and then it's back to emotional depth, and then it's laughter and jokes again. You're right. There's there's topics that it's like wow, you know, it's and you know one of them is like I was actually surprised that the MCU would 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 delve into that because like you said, it's it's huge illness that so many people could be affected mm-hmm. by um yep. but they even make they even make f- uh, like joke of that i know i know and that's the thing that and i was I thought, mm-hmm. it kind of cheapened it because mm. i feel like there were two incredibly powerful threads in this film there was the idea of like uh the big bad losing his daughter and that was the reason for the whole thing that he did and then the obviously you know the resolution to that i felt mm. like that was not explored enough um and I also feel that the the idea that even the superheroes and all the superpowers and magic and the and, and all this stuff in the universe could not help someone with cancer, yeah, was very poignant. And I feel like if they had focused more on that side of things, it would have been a much more successful film. Definitely, but I think I think fundamentally what's happening is we've got a little bit of Marvel fatigue. I think these films are coming out all the time and they follow a very similar pattern and. You, you know, he's getting to the point where you've seen one, you've seen them all, you know. Uh, it's It feels that way to me. It's like, oh, here's another one. You know, but whereas when you, you know, when you, you went to the cinema to see um, Avengers Endgame or whatever, it was like an event. It was like this huge, you know, these pre- kind of previous films, it felt like they were building to something. It feels like they've gone past that now. And it's just the factory line is rolling out these these films that hit certain beats. I always, I always say it's like the it's like the DLC content after you've completed a, a game. Yeah, there always comes a point where no matter how much DLC comes out, you're going to have to move on to the next big thing. Yeah. And I guess yeah. we're getting to that point where Marvel and that cinematic universe, what's going to be the next big one? You know, that's where that's where we're at now. And I think great. that's right. And I know, Steve, you had sort of challenged me on it, that, it, it, you know, why does it have to lead somewhere? I suppose that was kind of where, that's kind of where I've been since Endgame has We've had Spider-Man, we've had Doctor Strange, we've now had Thor, um, we've had the Black Widow film, but that was more of a, a sort of sort of prequel. Um, and I suppose it's just like, okay, so so where is this going? And I think I'm happy for the films to still come out. I will still watch them. I think Thor just seemed as if it was tacked on. It was tacked on success of Thor Ragnarok, Taika Waititi, right, you can back. People like that. You just do what you want. And I just think it was disappointing for Christian Bale because I really do think he could have been. I mean, he was the god butcher. He literally was. He kills every. He wants to kill every god. Like that's huge. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like the, I like mean, the weight uh, behind well, that. It's like exactly. make him the next big bad. Well, that's where it comes from, is that you've got Thanos and all the big build up to Thanos, and it was loads of movies and all this kind of thing. Um, I think the problem, though, as well, and it's a thing that, that Star Trek suffered with in its movies, was there's only so many movies you can watch where someone's going to destroy the Earth. Mm. 
and, and then fails before you start to get kind of desensitized to that idea. Yeah. And I think what's happening with Marvel is that you've got these big bads coming along when you've got them in TV shows as well. You've got the, the Loki TV show with someone wanting to destroy the multiverse. You've got this guy killing all the gods. You had Thanos wiping out whatever. There comes a point where you're just watching it and you're just like, oh, yeah, well, where's the another, another yeah. day at the office here. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, which, well, of course they're going to win, you know. And I think what would have been amazing would have been, for example, if at the end of Endgame or if at the end of the whole Thanos thing, that those people had stayed dead. Well, you know let's, I mean? let's like watch the spoilers here because I suppose that's kind of. I think Endgame people, most people will have seen that now. Right, but okay. if, you've not, so, if you've not seen Endgame right now, yeah. it's, that's on you. Aye, yeah, but I mean, I think you know, it's one of those where. Um, I think we know now that the major players are going to live and that, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it's just this, that's why things like, um, you know, what happened to Natalie Portman's character, what her experience was in this film was the refreshing part mm. was because, it, because, it, it, you know, here's the thing, right? Less is more, you know, the, the, the stakes, the high stakes don't have to be the universe is dying or, or gods are all being killed. The high stakes can be things like, Someone I love is dying of an illness because those are the high stakes that we face in our lives, don't we? A lot of the time. So I feel yeah. like it, it needs to pivot in that direction. I think that, that should be something that should be explored. But anyway, um, I mean, I would get what would I give the film? Yeah. Should I say what I would give the film? Um, I'd probably give it a, I'd probably give it a three. Okay. So three, three, and Steve's two. Uh, yeah, still relatively low for Thor: Love and Thunder. Um, definitely one of the lower points it seems we're in at, at with the MCU just now. What's coming up in the MCU? What's the next film? I, I think it's uh, Black Panther uh, Wakanda Forever. Right. I've I got a lot of catch up to do. I've still to watch mm -hmm. Spider-Man, Immortals, Doctor Strange. Yep. Okay. Um, right. So the last film that has came out recently... Uh, that I've seen is Memory. So one of the blandest names you can get for a film. And I, <laughs> fittingly, I have had to look up Wikipedia to try and actually remember some of this film. It's it's <laughs> it's kind of bland. It's, you know what, it's, it's harsh. So it's directed by Martin Campbell, who has directed GoldenEye, of course, for our Bond references there. And Casino Royale. Into so the jar. You know, obviously a great director, and you can see that there's some finesse or some style. I do like it for that. Liam Neeson plays uh, an assassin whose main personality is that he is lethal and has precision in his killing efforts. And also now at the point that we we're watching the film, starting to struggle with Alzheimer's. And it's a kind of one last job type affair. The sort of usual thing we've seen so many times, especially in the uh, the Liam Neeson action geriatric films that we've geri action films that we've seen. Geriatric times. <laughs> Uh, the last, the last Jerry action hero. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, tell me, tell me, tell me this. Does he wear a long black leather jacket at any point in this film? I don't. I, possibly, actually, he does wear like a dark clothes. Mostly, I think mm. he usually gets into costume. He's kind of like, um, you know, he's he's sometimes in subterfuge kind of stuff, uh, dressing a doctor outfit and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the film's got some style. It opens up with some real brutal murder um, and uh, that kind of stuff. So there's moments that definitely catch you out. 
but again it's just not very original it's just not very you know it sort of lacks something but it sounds very i'm getting sort of hitman game vibes a wee bit a wee bit yeah it tries to obviously it's got like the story is that there's a he takes the 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 contract and he doesn't want to do it because it's a you know it's a young child all this kind of stuff and it all gets a bit naughty a bit complicated and he then becomes the contract type thing and it's a sort of trying to catch out you know a well-known uh can't remember if she's a businesswoman or she's you know at the, the top of the organization that's kind of setting things up and yeah and it's uh, you've got you know guy pierce in there as a sort of main detective that's trying to piece piece together kind of what's going on monica bellucci plays the kind of uh one of the sort of other supporting characters in it she's again that's the one i was referring to that's kind of running things behind the scenes and it's again, funny i was going to say it's funny you see because like guy pierce liam neeson monica bellucci like at one point that was like proper a-list but guy pierce is he's doing a lot of direct to video films he's doing a lot of kind of like strange stuff there's i think there's a i'm not saying that he's kind of ter- uh, you know bruce willis territory but um yeah yeah. It's kind of it's kind of strange how like people have their moment and then just go into this direct to DVD obscurity. Liam Neeson's probably very similar. Well, he was more. I think I don't know if he's got a deal with Amazon, but quite a lot of his stuff just yeah. goes straight to straight to Amazon. Yeah, it, it was released cinematically in some cinemas in America, and has went to Amazon for us. I don't think it was released cinematically over here um and so i've watched it on amazon as one of the exclusives that came out over the last month or two and yeah like it's it was fine over a couple of dinners i didn't actually even watch it all in one sitting um so maybe that's i don't know maybe that's unfair to the film maybe you should be watching it all in one sitting but you know so you know it's not got the most kind of memorable plot or dialogue it's a kind of -of run-of-the-mill film it's certainly brutal it's certainly got some moments that are you know that fill that kind of action if you've got that kind of requirement then it's kind of cool but yeah it's again just not really original i would say it's fine it's a solid film i would give it three stars um because i don't i don't think i'm looking online it's getting a bit more of a kicking i think maybe people's expectations my expectations were pretty low anyway i think so i didn't mind i kind of got what i expected from it there's a slick style to it like with martin campbell directing i kind of enjoy that i I, I do like his 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 paciness um that's something i've always said about golden eye um his storytelling and stuff like that i think you know i think it comes across well here as well there's no there's no they they don't drop the ball in that sense it's just maybe just not the most original and the character itself is as little kind of bland he's he's liam neeson it's really yeah, I was good. Gonna, it's good at killing I, people. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, and I think can't remember if it was the one that it was basically like Ice Road Truckers, Liam Neeson done. I think it's called the Ice Road. Hmm. Uh, and I think the previous one to that was on a subway train. Right. And yeah, I'm not C- quite sure. There's a CGI Liam Neeson in that, and and <laughs> most most of them now just follow that formulaic, you know ex-hitman or ex-assassin or somebody's wronged him so he goes and kills everyone um and i think unfortunately he's now he's now fallen into the you know does taken does that franchise and that was actually quite good 
then it's literally every movie he does is basically taken, except it's just a different setting or scenario. Yeah, it's the revenge. Um, he's he's become the the go to action guy for revenge films, mm. isn't he? Like that kind of seeking the injustice and just murdering people to get there. Mm. Like, it, yeah, I don't know exactly how it. How did uh, Liam Neeson become like that? Because he was in, in a lot more varied roles. Was it all because of Taken? Really? Yeah, Taken suddenly put him on the the poster for if you want that kind of character especially a grizzled veteran then you go to liam neeson and he's clearly happy to do it um it's not really i suppose he he get the cameo in uh obi-wan but i can't remember oh yeah yes yeah yeah so but i remember was it not recently that there was the controversy around liam neeson but he made like racist remarks I don't so know how he really... survived that. I wonder, yeah. that. I wonder a little if he has that it will linger with him for the rest of his mm-hmm. career. Like some Hollywood studios might be like, yeah, maybe not. Let's go with somebody else. Uh, you know, well, I have I mean... to say, Liam Neeson doing that, it was one of the dumbest things I've ever yeah, seen. I know. The thing was, right, th- th- that's a good example of someone trying to be well-meaning, right? Where, mm-hmm. where he was saying, I was wrong in the past behaving that way, right? right. But when you say that in an interview, people are going to cut out the bit that you say that's controversial and he just laid himself up for that i mean he basically what he was saying was i behaved in a way that was terrible in the past and i've always regretted it that's basically what he said Mm. i always regretted that and i did a bad thing and brave brave for him to admit that you know whatever right to say i did something terrible in the past and i've grown since then whatever but in today's day and age like that's career suicide no matter what way you look at it well i think it's it's i think it's because he said he, he he said and I and I thought this, and then actually said the what? Do you know what I mean? He made the yeah. racist comment. If he yeah. had probably just said, oh, "Listen, I I was you know I was looking at this person with uh, whatever," but actually not saying what he said. It's like I know I, my head was in my <sighs> head the whole time. Yeah, it's cringe. It's cringe. Oh yeah, you and do. it's it was so ridiculous because that was for uh you know, he was doing the publicity for that film. What was that called mm. again? It was kind of one of those forgotten films, but that's not what they needed. All the people who have worked on that film, suddenly the film is getting kind of only known bad for press. that yeah. bad press. And it was I, just... I can tell you right now that all those people and his agent and everybody involved would have been saying to him, you fucking idiot, yeah. Liam, Aye. what were you what doing? Were you what were you playing at there? So he's kind of came off well enough to that's not like following him the way that you... He's still got a career. Yeah. Aye, he's so... still... Well, I, I, I think accepted them back, which is interesting. I think it was just a yeah, I mean, taboo I, I, moment that will always be I mean, kind uh-huh. of remembered. It'll be brought. Up. It'll yeah. be brought up. But I think I think generally speaking, like people know where he was coming from. So I think that's what saved them. Basically, yeah. is that people knew where he was coming from, and they're like, right, okay, it's just your drunk uncle at the table. He's said something about daft. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, I, I think mean, it's I, more. I, I it's the, hands, it's, well, it's it's not just that. It does. There's the ignorance of what and the racism element, but also just the obviously, I suppose you're rage filled and the murderous intent element to it is also what actually is kind of like yeah a little shocking. Well, it's concerning, yeah. I mean, but then again, I suppose it's like you know everybody's been young and done mad I mad know, stuff. But I think, so yeah, I, guess. I mean, I, I like I'm I'm very loath to criticize it folk do you know what i mean like I, like I tend to kind of look at folk and think oh god that's a bit embarrassing but like i don't i don't know it's very easy to judge folk when you've not made any mistakes in it or, or when you when you've not made a big misstep before but if you have then you tend to empathize with somebody and you're like well i mean i mean it's you know. so like an un talk about just put your foot in it like it was such an 
unnecessary comment. Like it didn't even require. Yeah, it's not even to bring up. Like it was just well, so that's it, exactly. And it's I almost. Well, I mean, I, I was thinking, is this guy been drinking or something? Yeah, Do you know what I mean, it's I, almost I, as if the, the reporter was basically like, "So Liam." This is now like Black Lives Matter month. Have you got any bad stories? And it, do you know what I mean? It was as if it was kind of yeah, set up like that. Yeah. And it's like, but it, it came out just so out of nowhere. But I think, again, it, you can tell it's coming from a, a, a good place, not a good place, but you know what I mean? Like a, he is opening up and he's trying to be honest and telling the ignorance. It's just Liam, my God, just. Yeah, Aye. but anyways, the film is uh is based on a novel by uh Jeff, oh god, Gerrits. I don't know if that's a Dutch name. I don't know this person. I'm just reading it from very basic research on Wikipedia. The novel called De Zack Alzheimer, and it's that's also been first made. Uh, so this is actually an adaptation from a previous um, remake of the novel, and it was a Belgian film, The Alzheimer Case. So this is already kind of a second attempt at the story written by someone else already so yeah again it's a fine film if you want a slick action film with kind of quite brutal and dark themes in it there's some sort of sort of really quite shocking stuff with you know young girls being trafficked for sex things things like that uh then yeah that that could be worth a watch but it is also the the not the most original uh film and you by all means do not need to see it so three stars qualified recommendation from me okay that'll do us for the films uh, let's talk about television shows uh right Andor, uh fran you've seen three episodes of the star wars show uh how, how's that been for you well i actually thought it was very good i thought it was well done it's set about five years before a new hope and you're following Cassie and Andor, who appeared in the film Rogue One, which is set right before A New Hope. So that film came out, I think it was 2016. So we're getting to see him prior to Rogue One, prior to, obviously, you know, it's sort of, this seems to be round about the start of the rebellion, basically, or the, the, the rebellion starting to become more of a thing in the Star Wars universe. What's interesting about it is that it, it focuses on Imperial police rather than military so the 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 antagonists are lower level bad guys that are just not really you know they don't even seem to take themselves seriously they wear these baggy uniforms and the main guy the main bad guy gets laughed at because he's had his uniform tailored and all the technicians and stuff and all the people working at the computers in the offices just to kind of laugh at him and think he's an idiot for taking things seriously they're like you know in fact his boss is saying uh, there's a murder that's taking place and he's saying well let's just sweep it under the rug it will cause us too much problems to investigate this you know and all the equipment they've got is garbage like it's interesting because in A New Hope, it looked like, because A New Hope was, when it came out, it was very much a 70s looking film, like, you know, the tech and all that. And obviously they kept the look for Star, Star, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back and Son of the Jedi as well. But it all looks quite, it looks so much like it's set five years before A New Hope. Everything just looks so dated and rubbish and broken. And, you know, it just, it just looks great. It's... <sighs> What's funny is there's an actor in it, a Scottish actor. I can't remember his name, but he was he was like in EastEnders. Oh, wow! <laughs> like he's gone from EastEnders to this. Like he's quite. There's a guy. Uh, no, sorry to interrupt, Fran. It just remind me that I mean that's not unknown. Like a British television actor to appear in Star Wars. If you look at the initial trilogy, yes. there was a guy in EastEnders that was in at least is one that, of the trilogy. Is that the guy that 
he was it Mo? Was yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. He used to be. He's, he's, he's in. He's in the new uh, Batman film. He's actually doing really well. You know, I think. I think what happened was I think it was Chernobyl when he played one of the yeah. miners, and then that kind of pushed him up in profile. But, but anyway, the, I, I think it was. I think it's fresh. I was a bit concerned because there's been a kind of a marvelization of Star Wars where you're watching all this content coming out and it's like, mm. like when Rogue One came out in 2016, it was a magical experience to go to the cinema and see something set in the original trilogy time frame because that hadn't been revisited at all, really, uh, in such a faithful way. And now you've got you've got like The Mandalorian, you've got The Book of Boba Fett, you've got this at Andor. So it's, it's one of those where the show needed to be a wee bit needed to be fresh and give you a slightly different look on it and it manages that really well now what's interesting is this planet they're on it's kind of a scottish planet because the <laughs> or this sector or whatever because the the, the the they've obviously they've chosen scottish actors to portray a number of the characters so i think that's what they've um they've decided to do there is to, for the consistency is to have a number of actors that are scottish there. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Colon, colonized Scottish um and, and Star Wars. <laughs> well it's it's interesting though because people just accept the English and American accents, don't they? Mm. But they hear other accents and they're like, mm, what's that all about? But I suppose it's kind of signifying that this is a slightly different sector of space to what we've seen, and you're getting to see a consistency in the dialect or whatever of the people that live there. You know, obviously whatever their language they're speaking in reality is going to be different. But it is interesting you say that because I suppose Star Wars, it's always the Imperials are always that sort of proper English, isn't it? Like even Carrie Fisher, like in, in A New Hope, goes between American and, and yeah, proper she English. She wasn't you know, quite just, sure how to speak yeah. in that film. She tried um, it out as English and then sort of switched to her natural accent later on. I suppose the question that I've got, Fran, um, and I will watch Andor, but I'm, I think I'm just going to wait until it all comes on and then I'll, I'll binge it. Um, why? Why Andor? Why do we need Andor? Well, I think we don't. We don't really need it. Yeah, and I think. You know, oh well. That's... But, I, but I, I think I think it's one of those where we don't really need any of this shit we're getting nowadays. You know what I mean? Like we don't need a lot of stuff, but there's stuff that you don't need that turns out to be a nice surprise, and then there's stuff you don't need that is just boring. And luckily, Andor is feels it feels quite fresh. It feels like it's like watching something from a slightly different angle. And it's fun to see Imperial police forces sort of dealing with more local problems and how incompetent they are and, and how excited some of them are to get in the action and some of the rest are shitting themselves and some of them don't give a fuck about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's nice seeing it bored like, staff like members. The like, Bill version of Star Wars? Uh, it, is like, it is like the Bill because there's a section where the, the, the investigator guy goes into the office to talk to the staff and they're all sitting at consoles and one of them's eating like noodles out of a tub and like, they're, you know, they've all got their baggy uniforms on that are all stained and he comes in all pristine with his, you know, they're all kind of looking at him like, ugh. Is this when you're going to say that... Is this when you're going to say that Mike Myers is like the head guy and this is like a fucking parody of Star Wars? Because it sounds <laughs> as if this is like a oh, almost parody. Funny. Do you know? Well, you know, it's not really. I think I think it's more like 
it's 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 getting a look at a slightly more mundane side of the Star Wars universe, which is where you would have police forces dealing with um low le- lower level criminals and things like that. And what's interesting, lower decks is, for Star Wars, but not animated. Well, it's it, it's a little. But here's the thing: it's not comedic. It's more like what's funny about it is not funny, but is that lots of the people don't give a shit. They're just there to do their job. But then you've got the true believer Imperials. That even in the police, you've got those like this investigator, and then his main like constable guy that's there with them they're both like we need to bring order to the galaxy kind of thing like so they even in their low level job they've been like they've drank the kool-aid of what the emperor's saying obviously do you know what i mean like they believe politically so you've got it's interesting to see normal star wars people living in the star wars universe even in the baddies side who don't give a shit about it and they're just there to get their paycheck you know and then you've got other ones who are right believers in it you know who really kind of go like they're obviously there because they believe in this you know but but they're getting mocked by their staff the other people that work with them you know i mean it would be like in any office job like say it's like say say a job right you've got loads of folk who are just there to clock in go and do their day or whatever and then you've always got somebody who dresses really well and treats their job really seriously even though it's you know and there's a there's an element of that that you can identify with i can't say that you're selling it to me here fran it's great honest it's really good (laughs) but i think i'm but I think I'm in a, um, I think I'm in, I don't know if it's a minority or a majority here, um, but with the Star Wars content, I was obviously completely, like, did not enjoy um, Last Jedi, didn't enjoy Rise of Skywalker. So in terms of the main saga, it's like kind of feeling a wee bit disenfranchised. Mandalorian comes out, really like it. New character, kind of similar setting, but I love the character, love the idea. We get I, Boba, we get Boba I, but Here's the thing, right? Now we're talking about we need normal stakes, like universe ending every week and all that. Yeah, I can mm. see what you're This saying. is a show that's given us a fresh take, you know? But it's not fresh, fresh because, it it's, because, Cassie, fresh. because Cassie and Andor is a... He he was a character in Star Wars: A New Hope. So. I, I think what Fran's saying is that the tone, the the sort of the angle it's taken does seem a little different. It's yeah, more stakes. It's sort of smaller scale story. And I get that. And what I'm saying, I'm not I'm not saying that that's not what's making it sexy to somebody like me. What I want is complete and utter creativity from this galaxy. This is a massive galaxy, and all the creative writing just seems to be is it's like right, okay. We need to give Hayden Christensen his moment again because he got wronged in the prequels. Let's do Obi Wan. So is your main issue that it's another character that you've seen before? Yeah, it's rehashed. It's so rehashed say, say they story. chose a different character and it was a different guy, different actor, and it was a different character. Would I, you be more interested in this film? No, I think if they, I think if they set up this a completely, show. yeah, if they set up a completely like the solo film for me, I actually quite liked the solo film, but see if it just wasn't called Solo and if it wasn't about Han Solo and if it was about something completely new, like a brand new character, like I, I can probably, I, I would be bought into it. So I think where I'm at in terms of Star Wars, that's why I'm saying I'm not sure if it's a minority or a majority, it's give me something new. But I Create that new... It sounds you know, like what Fran is saying is that, it's just it happens to have this other character who, let's face it, Unless he's amazing in this, the Diego Luna's fine. I mean, I've watched some uh, of Narcos Mexico that he's in, and he's a very serious character in that, and he's very serious in um, Rogue One. I know yeah. his character wasn't amazing, well, but like, well, are you talking about Cassian Andor? Yeah, yeah. so he's he is, he, that side of the story is serious, right? So it's it's not it's not a comedic story. It's just that it has comedic 
very low level funny elements to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But there are there are there are dark moments. I mean, I I I just like the idea of a Star Wars cop show. That's, cops and robbers. I'm I'm kind of actually a bit more intrigued on this. That to me sounds more interesting than say the book of Boba Fett. Like that kind well, of thing. there's no. I mean, that's it's not a character that... that I love, and it's not tarnishing it. It's a character I couldn't give a shit about, but it's actually doing something different. Yeah, but you, and, know, and, you know, but you know how where he, you know where he goes. Though? Right, yeah, the prequel like, element is maybe where there's an issue. I, that, I think this is this is it. So it's stop doing prequels. Stop doing stuff that we know. And a new hope. Like, I get a new hope. A new hope was done very well, and it was actually a huge plot hole from the first films. So it's like there's a purpose well, from that. I film. think the reason they do it this way, right? And I was like, I was thinking a lot about this because I did think to myself they could have cast another guy in a, in the Andor role and had had it called something else like Birth of the Rebellion or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, right? You'd always wonder where the fuck that guy was later, right? You know what I mean? So you'd be like, well, where has this guy ended up? Why is he not prominent in the rebellion? Do you know what I mean? Whatever. So I, th- I think, you know, Cassian Andor appeared in one film, and I do think there's room to, because he's he's at the right age where they could still make him look about five years younger. With a, I think there's been some subtle de aging going on or whatever makeup. I think there is room to explore his journey from being a bit of a street kind of lower level rebel type guy because basically what he's what he does obviously it's not really a spoiler it's just his job not his job but his, his line of crime or whatever is he he steals bits from ships and tries to sell them to make credits basically and there's another guy who appears who seems to be trying to pull nefarious people together to form this rebellion of some kind so it's a, it's a very interesting part of star wars history i suppose to explore it's how it goes from because think about it, right? The rebellion would have gone from quite a minor local problem for the police forces to something that they've built, you know, giant battleships and Death Stars to try and track them down, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 the fact that it's it's seeing that small insurgency, like the small low-level stuff, um, that the Empire is so arrogant that it, it employs these buffoons to keep order, you know? And then obviously, slowly but surely, the Empire gets more and more you know, worried about it as time goes on to the point where they're, they've got Vader on it, <laughs> following these people down, you know. So I, 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 would, I would say I was pleasantly surprised by it. Okay. I didn't uh, go in expecting uh, right. I mean, I watched all three episodes. I didn't feel any need to. I binged watched the three in one go. Like, I, you know, they were all released. The first three episodes were released together, and I just sat and watched them one after the other. I didn't feel any fatigue, any, oh, God, I've seen this before. In mm. fact, I was, I was laughing I was going, oh my god, look at that! I, I was having responses to it the entire time, and then at the end, I was like, oh, I can't wait for the next episode. Is it a six-parter? Do we I think it's going to be twelve parts. Is it twelve? And they're, they're planning a second season. Yeah, well, they'll probably run it for about five years. They'll probably run it up to the point where it, where it coincide, like kind of coincides with uh, Rogue One, I'd imagine. So I'm I'm really excited to see how this how this grows and you're going to love like I can't remember the Scottish actor's name that was in uh, Chernobyl and EastEnders and all that yeah I remembered Fran Alex Ferns and he has, Alex the, most, Ferns. He has the most guttural McCardle. Glaswegian accent yeah. doesn't I know. he uh-huh, he's, uh-huh. Very, he's very like that isn't he Oh, but it's so funny when he's it's so funny when he's standing he's like right listen you know i believe that we have to have order in the empire you know blah 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 like it's great like i'd watch it just for his character and the thing is he drinks like he's in the middle of a like positioning himself for a fight like with his rifle he's like got a hip flask of whiskey and all that or whatever the star wars equivalent is like sipping on his drink getting ready you know it's it's great i thoroughly recommend it so tony gilroy's i mean can understand the qualms though i can understand that yeah i was yeah, yeah i mean it's a, i suppose for me what i'm saying is it's 
it, it's the same as the MCU. It's like, I, I really don't know what direction we're going here. It seems to be just all rehashed characters and stories and stuff. And don't get me wrong, I, I will absolutely watch Andor. Um, but as a as an overarching fan of the whole franchise, I'm kind of a bit like, right, there's nothing new. We're kind of rehashing old ground here. Uh, hmm. That, and again, Obi Wan. What, what's the old ground about it? What? Because I'm hearing something. But this is a thing that's been going on. I mean, I, I I get this though. Like, like the only reason Scott feels this way is because he's not watched it yet, right? And once you watch it, you'll understand where I'm coming from, right? But with no, ele- dis- elements, of Obi- elements of Obi Wan, elements of Book of Boba Fett, elements of um, Mandalorian, I have felt the things that you're describing, right? Mm. I, I, you know, this is the first one that I've not really felt that way, and it was I was surprised. Because, you know, there is such a thing, and it's happened with Marvel, there's a thing that's called franchise fatigue, right? And you revisit the same thing, prequel fatigue as well, I get all of it, like, totally. But all I can say is, as someone who's aware of those things, and, and has experienced those things over and over again, I've been pleasantly surprised um, by by this take. I think right. this is the, I would say this is the freshest of all of the TV Star Wars. So, very quickly, Tony Gilroy was the writer for Rogue One, or one of the writers, and he's draft. He was drafted in as the the main showrunner. He's kind of well, that doesn't bit. surprise me. So he, he's the quality then. Yeah, he's he's kind of got some. There's continuity there with knowing the character, knowing the tone, and things like that from Rogue One, which is encouraging. I was yeah. listening to a podcast with him before uh, this podcast, uh, this recording, this one. Um, and he, I think he, as yeah. well. I have to, I have to say, in terms of the future of Star Wars, I think what's happened is right. And you get this with big companies, um, is that they get scared of stuff. So what's happened is the prequel trilogy came out and bombed. Let's face it, right? Well, it's and, in mean, terms commercially of commercially, they opinion, were huge. They were the more yeah. successful mm-hmm. than but but you know, in terms of PR, like yeah. people were just like, "This is gar- like garbage. What's going on here?" I mean, the first one was alright, second one was pish, and the third one was just like a, a mess, right? And I think what's happened is Disney have obviously they've got folk who are monitoring like people's opinions and whatever, and looking at everybody's whatever. So what they've done is they've gone too far the other way lately, I think, where they've and that's where the fatigue starts to come in. What they've realized is they're like, wait, the fans want classic Star Wars. We're gonna give them classic Star Wars, but they they you know, I, I think what I think if they hadn't mishandled the sequel trilogy, because they were trying something they were trying to, to tell a story that hadn't been told there and they failed spectacularly. So now they're going for the safe option, which is to rehash not rehash per se, but to go to a safe time frame. And kind of dance around the story that we all feel nostalgic for, yeah. So that we all, they can kind of they can kind of drip feed the corpse of the original trilogy and like siphon off some of that remaining magic for us to consume. Um. So I, I get that, and I think it's a shame because uh, you know if you look at Timothy Zahn's books that came out you know, after the original Star Wars, it kind of carried on the stories of the, the original trilogy characters. And, and if those were the, the prequel, sorry, the, the sequel sequels. trilogy, uh-huh, if they'd brought them out a bit sooner when the actors were younger and they'd carried on that story, it would have continued to this day, no doubt, in that vein, we would have had more and more. But it is what it is. And, you know, you know, I, I'm never going to be able to be part of the decision-making process of these things. So I'll take what I can get. <laughs> like, if, I could, if something, you know, you get a diamond out of every million lumps of coal, I'll still take the diamond, put it in my pocket and walk off with it, you know? Okay, right. So very quickly, Gordon, just what is your thoughts on Andor and and Star Wars generally? I know you're a fan. Yeah, I just, I always think if I want to know more about some of these other characters or other years, I I would go towards the books. You know, you used to get a lot of the spin-off books and 
if you're putting them on the big screen, you're having to make them that bit more cinematic, and that's where it does lose something a bit. So, yeah, I don't. This actual particular one I hadn't heard of, but you know, I might look into it. But yes, yeah, I mean, my thoughts are similar to what you guys have said about the way the whole franchise has gone, really. And I, I just like the fact knowing that they're there and that I can go to them one day because I, I would say, if anything, well. I've been going through Star Wars fatigue like largely for the past 20 years, so I've moved on to other things. But yeah. I think, yeah, it's nice, nice knowing that they're there. and the, But there is there is scope for doing something better, especially the way that the, the final trilogy went. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, let's move on. Um, so I've been watching The Boys season one and two. I've started season three. I know this has been covered probably in at least two podcasts between Scott and France. So I will just chime in very brief- briefly on my thoughts. And no surprises, I'm really enjoying it. I've been pretty much binging it when I can. Um, for in the last two weeks that I've had off my work, I've been watching a lot of it. And it's fantastic storytelling, uh, shocking at points, hilarious at others, um, stylistically fantastic, interesting characters, fan- great dialogue, and some nice pivots, nice turns that you're not quite expecting. Just when you think you know where it might go, it then goes in a different direction. And Fresh, isn't it? Fresh, yeah. fresh, fresh. Really, really talk, about, talk about fresh. Yeah. Like... I mean, that's the thing, and it like I'm not surprised you've enjoyed it. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. I mean, it's one of those where you know that's what to do. Mm-hmm. Go and get some source material, like a comic book. If you want to, you know, draw from something, whatever, find something that's not, you know, something that's quite, quite interesting. Create a series out of it. You know, to make give the series its own spin a little bit. I think it was. I think it's. I think it's probably one of the best shows on TV at the moment. It's amazingly creative, but also. Uh, it caters to, I feel anyway, a lot of audiences. Like there's, you know, the two sides of the debates in modern uh, media discussions is always this sort of the woke side yeah. or the other side, which is anti. Everybody loves this. But I think that the, the boys is very clever with casting, with the way it portrays both sides of that type of thing in the show, almost lampooning both. Like, it feels very well. Uh-huh. It just but, has a fine line of... Because it's... Yeah. So the corporate... So the Vought Corporation, the way they try to be so overly, like, woke and the, the marketing side of it is fantastic. It's hilarious. Because but they're it shows, also complete it shows, hypocrites. Yes. And it shows the, 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 the hypocrisy of huge... Uh, companies using cultural waves and times for their own you know capitalist benefit in that kind of way it's just really well done yeah Uh, and and it's also got this whole thing like it's almost like they've marvelized their own heroes like there's all these movies and uh comic books and things that are all marketed around these heroes you know and i think as well like as much as it lampoons both sides it also kind of humanizes both sides of the debate as well because you see that everybody is complex yes and everybody has been affected negatively by something or other and everybody's got legitimate beef from their point of view it's like obi-wan says you know from a certain point of view yeah. but like you know that's i thought you were just gonna say hello there <laughs> hello there um, do you know what i really like i think i think it's i think you're right um there's loads of different nuances in terms of stories and stuff this how they handle um black noir in the third season yeah, don't, going to yeah, don't go third season <laughs> it's so good like it's so good it's so creative um and visually striking as well um but i love the dynamic of the 
it's the two sides. So you've got Mother's Milk, whose daughter is obviously with the ex-wife, but the stepdad, I love the stepdad dynamic. So I haven't seen a lot of that yet. Oh, yeah. So don't, yeah, don't say that. Well, no, 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 but what I'm saying is, is that in terms of that split down the <laughs> middle, you've got Mother's Milk that's like, no, Homelander is bad. Like, he is not, he's not a good guy, but the stepdad is just, yeah. I know, yeah, yeah. That's quite good. And he's, yeah. and, it, and it's like, in terms of like, in terms of like real life, like he is, he's, that's like a Trump supporter. You know, that's like Trump just standing there and saying, yep, march to the, march to the gates of the Senate or whatever. And this guy will be like, what's interesting about it is that, is that they, they, they haven't cast that guy as like a, a gun toting, like hick from the Midwest. Like he's a teacher, isn't he? Mm -hmm. So he's a pretty normal guy. I mean, he's, and he, you know, he's in, in, in most other ways, what you, you, Obviously, I don't want to say too much. Yeah, let's you get not. To see, you get to see sort of like take, let's take this in a broader sense. You kind of get to see the the how if someone is only exposed to a particular amount of information that they could only come to one conclusion, couldn't they? So, like, say someone is like you know, to take it to the real world. There's a lot of people out there who would have been watching Trump, Clinton, Biden, whoever, and and the reason they choose the person that they go with is because that's the person that kind of speaks to what they need and and and. You know, do you know what I mean? It's it, it would be like, oh well, you know, I'm a certain worker at a factory. This guy's going to protect my job, or this guy's going to give a voice to the people that don't have a chance to express themselves. Blah 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 blah, that kind of thing. And you get to see that quite well. Like it doesn't, it doesn't overtly vilify anyone for for choosing their point of view. Although it does kind of at some points, it makes a complete mockery of of the media and and what people are exposed to and the lies i think that's what it does really well yeah yeah that's the main message you get from it is and uh, that's what i'm really uh i'm finding and there's no there's fact. no really any good guys that's the thing nobody's in the right yeah it's very black it's very cynical but you're having fun with it because the characters are so there's they're fun to be around um and and despite some of the horrendous things that happen in the in the series some of the shocking stuff, you know, is yeah, it keeps you, it keeps you going. It's it's it is a binge watch type of show. It is the kind of thing where it knows how to end an episode, and you're like, oh god, it's late, but I kind of want to watch the next yeah. episode now. Like <laughs> it's that kind of feeling, and and I love that feeling. Like that's when you know, you know. So I'm reviewing those first two seasons. I'll join you in the chorus. I think you gave them five. Both of you probably. I would give them both five as well. So yeah, uh, really great stuff for the boys. Uh, I'll eventually come to the third season to talk about that probably the next one. So we can go into more detail there. Uh, very quickly, I've watched one episode of the next two shows. So I'm just going to very quickly summarize them. Borat, uh, American Lockdown. It's the sort of spin-off from the subsequent movie film sequel he made. I didn't even know this. I, I think didn't it's, know it existed. It's on Amazon. Um, essentially, yeah. it's about five or so episodes, or maybe eight even, I can't remember. Um, of... Sorry, this is... Uh, Steve, is this different to the, the film that came out on Amazon yeah, in so the last is, year or so? This is them using all of the footage they shot for with when he actually sasha baron cohen stayed with those two kind of you know those two redneck huh. guys jeremy yeah. and uh, jim and jeremy or something like that um <laughs> so i mean i've only watched one episode and initially i had to stop watching it because i was just so i was partly cringing just because 
of the effect it has on you. You're watching this character who is essentially lampooning, you know, he's getting, it's showing you that how, you know, uh, narrow-minded these two characters are and he's kind of getting them to say outrageous things by being really outrageous. Mm -hmm. But there's points where actually I started to feel sorry for them a little as well just because I thought, they just, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's a strange one. Um, And also I found Borat actually quite irritating. Like there's points where there's just a joke that just keeps happening, and they just uh, yeah. And I was well, do you know like, oh. do you know what? I agree with you 100. percent See the last Borat film, right? I felt like the first Borat film was a very kind of honest take on things, and it and it and it showed the way things were, right? It just showed the way things were. The first film, right? Second film felt like it was very much Sasha Baron Cohen was like, well, I'm on my particular, I've got my horse in this race, and I'm going to lampoon. You know, it was very pointed. You know. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't like that so much. And I, I just feel like Sasha Baron Cohen's got his axe to grind now. I, I, I mean, I loved the sequel. I still think it was really good. From um, I, I didn't remember. find it as funny. I, I just because because I could see I, the angle, and I, whereas with the first film, I couldn't see the angle, and I, I liked that. I just thought it was, you yeah, know, the first true. film felt like the first film felt like it was just giving them the rope and they hung themselves right. Whereas the second film felt like it was stringing them up and executing them. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the thing is that, like I think that's where you're feeling sorry for these guys is that you know there's 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 a point where mocking someone becomes just bullying cruel behavior and and you know um mocking people for for ignorance is just you know is in principle a bad thing to do like you you know you shouldn't do that like what you should do is try you, you, what we should be doing is trying to talk to people and say well what have you ever thought of this why yeah, don't you think like just engage them, them and try uh-huh. and see yeah you know, instead it's a, a lot of that. You're, you're, you're an irredeemable piece of shit and you should be killed or whatever you know, I I will never be a fan of that. Like, and yeah. I'm not, and it doesn't surprise me that it's going down that track, and it doesn't surprise me that Amazon's producing it. Yeah, I can I can say that I'm kind of with a lot of what you're saying, especially with the second one, Fran, where, for example, the whole thing about like keeping his daughter in a cage and all that, like that's quickly started to bore me. But yeah. what I, what I thought was quite funny was the way he dealt with the pandemic, like seeing Bora in the house of I think was it two rednecks or something or some kind of uh, just typical family of that well, that's what in America. Is, that's the guys we're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like like him thinking in the early days of the pandemic he can like take out the virus by hitting the particles with a frying pan against the wall. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. So there's some, some of it was funny. funny. Like that's I, I was the, that's the thing. So I watched the first half of the episode and I was a bit irritated, stopped watching it and then came back to it and, and I ended up laughing at a point um, because... <laughs> he's showing these he's obviously created these there's an element of um, just you have to be impressed with the commitment to this part though like this is insane that he stayed with these guys and he's in character the whole time and that is kind of nuts and it obviously has came pre-prepared with this book that he's showing how i I think this is this is where people from kazakhstan would probably not appreciate that this character at all which is why they're not you know, for it, but like the what is Borat is portraying, I think, is it childbirth and how they deliver a baby, and it's absolutely obscene. Like, it's essentially mm-hmm. like as if it's a Karma Sutra where there's like like <laughs> multiple doctors doing all sorts of horror, like horrendous. And these guys, obviously, in full kind of ignorance, are just like, no, no, that's not that's not how it, you, that's not how it goes. You know, they're trying to tell Borat who they mm-hmm. think is a wee bit deluded and try and explain to him, no, that's not how this works and stuff like that. So, like, 
you know, it's weird. I was laughing and then I was feeling a wee bit sorry for them and then just, you know, it's a weird mix of emotions you have with this but that's, that's another thing with this whole thing, right? Is that the first film took the piss out of Kazakhstan, right? And the Americans' attitudes to things. <clears throat> but the, but where it starts to get a bit sort of like, oh, what the fuck are you talking about here? Is this whole idea of, so the Kazakhstani folk are fair game? The oh, Kazakhstani yeah, folk pretty... are fair game to be totally, totally made to be idiots. The entire, do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's like where does the where does the circle of ignorance and 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 bad humor begin and end here? Like, we, we, how much of it is the people that are the subject of the mockery, and how much of it is B- Sasha Baron Cohen himself? You know, uh, who who will only mock certain people? Well, they're safe targets. They're safe targets to go well, for. Well, I mean, the you know? Ali G character was one as well, I guess, but I suppose it's not quite the same. It's not an, like a, a nation in the same way, but yeah, it's. Yeah, I wonder if maybe... I mean you wouldn't see him walking you wouldn't see him walking down in the in the Orthodox Jewish garb, um twirling his curls at the side of his head and singing songs and talking about how they treat their their families in some of these communities in New York. You certainly wouldn't see that because Sasha Baragon is a Jew. So he's not gonna mock his own people, is he? So Everybody's got their biases, and Sasha Baron Cohen is not a lo- is is no different to anybody else, in my opinion. And we're starting to see that now, very clearly, because he's you know because why why is he mocking people from countries that have majority Muslim populations? I wonder. Well, I wonder what that could be coming from. So, you know, the guys take a look in the mirror, as far as I'm concerned, and start start look. You know, I think his next big project should be mocking his own people. Why does he hold up a mirror to himself instead? Maybe he will. As maybe my, will. You know, uh, well, I'd have a lot more respect for him if he did, because so, because he he's criticising everybody on earth for being ignorant and having biases, isn't he? That's the whole joke. And then he himself is probably the worst criminal of all when it comes to that. And, you know, I, I, when it came to the first film and his previous work, I, I could forgive that, but not the last film and certainly not this series by the sounds of it. So, you know, physician, heal thyself. That's what I would always say. Well, I've only watched one episode, so I can't really give it a rating. I don't feel it's, it'd be a, probably a three if I did, just purely because there was points where I was getting a bit frustrated with the kind of repetition of some of the, the sort of style of humour. But um, anyways, that's that. The other one I've seen one episode of, I'll t- talk very briefly on, is the Lord of the Rings uh, prequel series, The Rings of Power. I've watched... Oh, God help us. Did you like it? Well, I think I spoke to you off podcast uh before and i watched the the first episode i haven't watched the rest so i mean i can't comment on this because i haven't i've I've decided i'm not even going to bother you know i heard about the greatest swim in human history and i decided not to right well not to for that it's from the first episode i think apparently it gets better my brother says the third episode is really good and give it sort of keep going with it i do know i did watch the rings of power and then decided actually i'll watch the boys for the first time and raced through that first season with that so you just know well uh from that sort of comparison that you, if one grips you you're gonna watch it and i wasn't gripped with the rings of power um you know you can see the budget on screen it certainly looks amazing and so there's an element of you know something to be to be said for that as a dialogue piece i was struggling with uh i just didn't i felt like it's it was really i was actually struggling to understand sometimes kind of what they're I, talking I, about. I have heard this commented that it's like americans trying to talk in old english at a renaissance fair yeah that's, that's what, what I, that's what i've heard yeah it, it makes me worried 
It's a it's prequel. A prequel. <laughs> We're talking like a thousand years or something. It's oh, uh, what's her name? What's her name from Galadriel. 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 So she's kind of now much more of an action kind of character. She's kind of best swimmer of all time. I'm, I'll keep going back to that. Right. I think she swims five thousand miles or three thousand miles or something. I don't know. Um, it's insane. I'm, not, I'm not familiar with Tolkien's work. I haven't read the books. I only know the films. So I have no real. I know that there's some people have issues with what people perceive to be a retconning maybe or all that kind of stuff i don't really have much to say on it well, I, I, I basically watched a, a panel there was a panel at one of the comic-con things and it was the showrunner and the actors and they basically said to help effectively a, a you know a, a, a summation of what they were saying was we have purposefully changed a lot of this to fit with what we think today and this is the reasons why and as soon as i saw that i thought nah I'm not going to watch that because I've got no problem with it in, in new shows or whatever, sci-fi shows, whatever. But Tolkien's Legendarium is is a very important piece of literature. And so is this based on... Is the Rings of Power based on an actual book or is no, this no, just... No. Well, it, basically Tolkien's... When I say Tolkien's Legendarium... A specific what, book, sorry. Like, what I mean is, is that there's... Prior to The Hobbit, you've got things like The Silmarillion and you've got other books that... You've got notes more like a glorified glossary, is it not? Essentially, uh, yeah. of Lord of the Rings things. There's, there's mm. stories that haven't fully been told, right? And there's ways that you could tell those stories. There's things that have been fundamentally changed in this series that change the change the rules of the world. Like what? I'm not just talking but about how, the how do you know that though? Just from you've not fact, seen it, yeah. I've, uh, the, the 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 actors themselves and the showrunner said this themselves. In those very words at the panel, that's what they said. That's how I knew that would be the case. So I decided. I thought, well, I'm not really interested in that because it's not faithful. It would. Be, I, I'm trying to think of a good. A good. I, but you just, you just, to... you just. We just had the exact same conversation about me and Andor, except this is now just flipped to the Lord of the Rings. No, 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 no. Okay, fine. The the Star Wars equivalent would be that the Empire are all suddenly giant lizards. Okay. So I, right. I, I mean, I'm, like, I'm, like that. That's that's the know. that that's the equivalent lore change, or that the Jedi were were actually um, the Jedi are now slugs or something. Do you know what I mean? So like, what is the big change then? So so some of the characters, as far as as far as what they said at the panel, some characters have been fundamentally changed. Some people have been cast. Races themselves, right? Races themselves. Now, Tolkien had some some questionable views, right, in his day. But basically, the whole idea of Lord of the Rings was that the and and for good or bad, right, that um, you know the race of elves and 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 the the men that lived in those parts of Middle Earth um, are white. We're all white. Because uh, it's it's uh, it's a very white trilogy. The dwarves, right? But but that's not because like. That's not because anybody's trying to exclude anyone. That's just the, that's just the source material, right? And there is an in-universe explanation for this in the sense that there are people of colour in the Tolkien universe, but unfortunately, because Tolkien was a man of a different time, they all came from the other parts of the world where they were all savages who wanted, who were evil and worked, wanted to work with Sauron, right? So that's all out there. Um, you know, and obviously Peter Jackson, you know, he was faithful to the universe such as it was because that's the way that it is, right? And obviously there are things he changed, but they were comparatively minor really on the in the grand scheme of things but you know the the, the rings of power it, it changes fundamental uh, tones and attitudes of characters 
it changes the. But, but see, see, I'm sorry, Fran, I don't think. I, I don't think. I, I, I don't think. How can you get it? It changes the tone of characters based on casting. Yeah. No, 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 no. It does. It does both. Um, that those are two separate things. So it changes the fundamental nature of some characters that are well written, kind of well known in the literature. Um, and it also changes the um, the very, the very evolutionary makeup of races in the world. Which I, know, I don't. Yeah, think... for, for, see, I don't. I still don't get that because if the source material is what it is. But this is based on this is now creative writing based on the source. So you don't you don't always have to say, well, Tolkien wrote it that it was a whitewash. Therefore, it has to still be a whitewash. Like, I don't care if you know it's one of these ones. But so what you're alluding to is is that people of people of mixed race or color or black or Hispanics have been cast where in previous films it would have been a white actor. Is that what we're saying? Well, it's the it's the fundamental rule of the world as comes from the literature. The but source. that to me is a f- I don't know. I feel like that a, needs to a, be yeah. like that's not crucial to me as an audience member t- trying to enjoy some fiction. Like it's uh, yeah, like. But for me personally, I suppose when it comes to these things, because I read a lot of it when I was younger, I think it pulls me out of it, especially when a panel alludes to it so pointedly. They're obviously going to be quite, I guess, because there's an exclusivity feel that Tolkien would have had, that they are obviously wanting to bring just, in more. I, I, and, and I have inclusivity no, I have of no, it. They, no, they want to kind of preach it. They want I have to no showcase. issue, right? I've got no issue with with that. And, and you know this from previous podcasts, with, with almost any other show, right? But I think that Tolkien's work should be treated with a certain level of respect. And but was it, was the token specifically, and I've not read the books, okay. So. Well, he's talked about it, so it's not just in the books, but it's also in his own writings, like letters and things like that, where he was trying to create, he was trying to create a sort of modern mythos and legend for, for I think it was for England, he said, or for Britain. And I think that was that's why he sort of front and centred um, your sort of kind of Anglo-Saxon looking people um, in his, know, in, in his, so it was a, it was a choice it, that he made. Ah, but was it specifically made, like said within the books of this franchise that everyone is white? Well, I think it's. I'm pretty sure at certain points, yeah, they're described describe okay. what people look like. But the thing is, like, it's one of those where I'm always a big proponent of you know if you can't find something that fits the modern message, don't try and change something from the past. Come up with something new. Do you know what I mean? Like I've I've always been a big fan of that idea. Like obviously Game of Thrones. Like um, I take it to the other side. Game of Thrones was never so specific about how people looked. Um, so um, there well, was some controversy about casting. Concern. I just just talked. There was about controversy that. about casting on House of the Dragon. It never bothered me. But like, I, you, I, but I, you said you were concerned and many others on reddit were concerned yeah, but the, and then watched the show i, I, I wasn't really it. concerned because what i did was i went and thought hang on a minute I, well i wasn't so much concerned about them changing something i think it was more oh i hope they've cast i hope they've not just cast actors to fill boxes i hope they've cast actors that are good i think it was from my perspective it was more that yeah and the thing well, is it's, it's, i suppose it's like game it, of thrones lore like there's no the game of thrones literary side leaves it open to interpretation so but would you it, say it doesn't so really here's matter a, so, so here's much. an example then so obvious one for this podcast so fleming's books based james bond so was did fleming specifically 
alludes to the fact that James Bond was a white male. Uh, it doesn't. I think he describes so, him like blue eyes and things like that. Yeah, I don't know if he ever okay. says the skin color. So, or such, never, but, so again, he has he has described in many other things that he yeah. wanted. David Niven was the kind of guy he like. You know, was the person he envisioned. So, say the broccolis get Idris Elba as Bond. Would we have a is is that a, is that the same sort of the 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 casting is now outdoing the, the original literature? I, 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 well, no, because I think that James Bond or James Bond was always a twist on the books. It was never a hundred percent, and the fact that the actor changed anyway was ludicrous. Like if you look at it from a realistic point of view. So I think it, you know once you get to that point, it's like you know. But the, it's, film, but the films. Everything is a twist on the book, so the films and the new series surely is a twist on yeah, on their everything an adaptation. If you adapt so there's something, more, there's an inherent. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to put I'm going to put this very clearly as somebody who studied English lit and taught English and all that stuff, right? Can you know what I'm like about this stuff? You're never going to put Ian Fleming next to Tolkien in terms of literary importance. Right. No, I don't think I'm doing that. Tolkien's, what I'm doing is I would say that Tolkien's work is one of the is is a fundamental pillar of of British literature. I think I you're think, misleading. Think... You're, you're you're getting the wrong point here, Fran. I'm not talking about the works. I'm talking about the point you've made about the casting of of certain characters and races within the the Rings of Power is one of the reasons why you wouldn't watch it. I think I think for me it pulls me out of the world. I think I think when you're world building, you 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 create a world with certain rules, and I think those you know Game of Thrones, like I was saying, the other side of it was um, the, the, George R R Martin never really specified some of the things, so it kind of left it open. So it doesn't. Like, I can watch House of the Dragon and not feel. Um, I'm trying. It doesn't break my sense of immersion in the show because. I'm not looking at that show thinking, mm, well, that's that's not really accurate to the source, is it? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I can watch, I can watch it, and it, it it doesn't bother me so much. Um, I just don't think it. it, it casting is something that um, I would, I would only, I could only comment on casting after I had probably watched it. That's maybe just me. Yeah, that's my angle yeah. because I think, regardless, I think of, that, regardless of race, I think the thing with talking, I think, but the thing is, I get, I get where you're coming from, right? And I'm not saying that folk. I'm not saying don't watch the show. I mean, I, I have a perfect right to kind of dislike something for my own reasons, right? And I think I'm not alone in this. I think there's a lot of fans who are perfectly accepting of these things in other shows that feel that Tolkien is, should be... Give, it's almost like, you know how when you get a building that's like, you get buildings out there that are like National Trust and they don't put in the wrong windows and stuff like that because they want to keep them looking the way they were because it's a historical thing. It's like they want to keep them the same right because because they're of historical importance or whatever i feel like there's a sense of that in my head with tolkien so like it should be treated with a certain level of reverence and respect the I lord think. of the rings is a listed building well i think i think in literary terms it sort of is like like but that's not to say that anybody who appreciates listed buildings and 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 you know keeping things the way they were for historical purposes would be against modern stuff in other areas. It's not like those people are like fuck modern buildings or whatever. It's like the you know you you can both you can simultaneously have a respect for an important historical, an, an important literary work that is now quite, um, quite sort of storied because it's so old, but still be open to to change as well. Right. Like like for example, like I mean I'm not somebody who would have been like oh that Ghostbusters recast of women is a load of pish. Do you know what I mean? 
Like it's not. I, I can be both. I can. This is one of the very few times. In fact, probably the. I mean, my God, the last time I got annoyed at recasting based on race was Star Trek when they recast someone who was a Sikh as a white guy. So you know, it, it, it's it's not something. I, I, I don't I know, but the guy who played the idea that I don't the guy who, the idea that anybody who dislikes recasting based on race is inherently a racist because I think it's Monte, a complicated. It's a complex issue, I think. And I'm was the guy not that alone played, Was the guy that not was the guy that played singer? Was he not Mexican? Uh-huh, but the character was a Sikh, but he was cast as a... The cast and the character was a Sikh. The background of the character, obviously in the 60s, they cast a, a Latino guy. So at the very least, I would have wanted a, a person of colour to play him. Do you know what I mean? Well, um, but, even, but even at that fundamental, it's like you're, the casting is a Mexican or a Hispanic person playing a Sikh. So now you've got... A, but your issue is now a white person is playing a Sikh. So the original casting was still flawed. Yeah, but it was not. It, it, you know, they they could have at least, they probably would have been better cast than somebody who was actually a Sikh for Star Trek. Sikh, that's Casting a white guy on that. Right, let's move on. I think it's an. I think it's an important thing. I think I think it's a really important thing. Okay. But you know, I, I the show's not been well received. Right. For a number of different reasons. Well, I'm gonna try and persevere and see if i enjoy it my brother has said it gets better so i'm going to give it that uh, at least to the third episode so how it, many is it a 10 parter is i a... think so i can't remember if they're i don't, don't think they're all out yet um hmm. not sure how many episodes there's three or four maybe uh, i think i'm going to do the same as we andor just wait till it's on hmm. and then and, and then binge it sort of thing. yeah yeah good idea okay uh, Fran, you mentioned Game of Thrones, the House of the Dragon, so we might as well continue with that. You have been watching that. How has this been for you? It continues to impress me. It, it, it can be a bit slow at times, but it's incredibly well written. It's, you know, the characters all have a lot of depth to them, and there's nobody that feels extraneous. And what's interesting is that the, funnily enough, the the actor and actors that side of things that were, some people were worried about the cast and have actually become quite important, even more important to the story at this stage. <clears throat> um, and yeah, just it all it all fits. Everything about the show just feels right. You know, it feels like it, it's a difficult job. Funnily enough, they've done a similar thing to what happened with uh, the Rings of Power in the sense that they've had to go back and flesh out a story that maybe didn't, you didn't have all the, you didn't have all the details of everything that happened every day and every line of dialogue that ever took place. I was going to ask the same question as this isn't, because uh, I know, obviously I've just started watching Game of Thrones, but I've, certainly from what I've had from social media and stuff, the later Game of Thrones series were kind of almost creative writing. They had kind of ran out of the source material. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. yeah. So is this, this kind of similar? This is basically like, well, like it, said, there's no initial book called well, House of the, Dragon or whatever. No, this is the, completely new. No. But, yeah, but there's there's stuff that they're, they kind of have a rough idea of what happened, if that makes sense. So they know, it's, it's like, it's like the Rings of Power. It's like, in the sense that they're they're extrapolating and filling in gaps, but um, you know what's interesting is like, I do a lot of reading on the subreddits for House of the Dragon and the Rings of Power because a lot there's a big crossover in those fandoms, obviously from Tolkien to Game of Thrones. 
And what's interesting is that House of the Dragon tend, seems to be there's a lot of discussion on how it's it's done a better job of of like I mean if we were to just look at Rings of Power, ignore the casting entirely, right? And look at it in terms of how well it's written, how well both shows are written, and how well they've extrapolated, what you know what's going on. The general response from the fans seems to be that House of the Dragon has done a much, they've done a better job with that in terms of staying faithful to the universe, extrapolating the the from the source material, and it feels like it fits. You know, it feels like it fits. It feels like you could watch this series, and then it would, and then you would watch. You know, what I mean, like it. it it, it doesn't feel like it, it obviously as you say creative writing is a good way to put it it doesn't feel like it's it feels like it's <laughs> it it feels like George R. R. Martin has sat well obviously he's involved in the show but it feels like it's come from the same place it, it, it has that Game of Thrones feel to it yeah so tone has been fully met uh, uh-huh. matched with the, 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 the previous show okay yeah let's um, you don't need to put a rating on it because it's still a ongoing show let's just keep it at that but you're fully enjoying it anyway yep okay uh star trek lower decks you said you wanted to speak about the last episode you just watched that's still going as well yep what's interesting about the last episode um is that i mean this is a comedy so wait, um, what sorry what wait, on what season and episode is this just to give context for anyone who doesn't know this so season three episode let me just tell you the episode season three episode um episode five season three episode five so i mean this is a comedy show so it's a cartoon basically it's um you know the entire time up till now it's really been kind of laughs it's i think i'd mentioned before it's um one of the guys behind rick and morty you know so it's a bit more of a it's it's kind of like red dwarf in the star trek universe this this you know, we've got the four main cast members who are sort of lower ranked officers and trodden on by everybody all the time. But this episode is interesting because one of those characters, you get a glimpse into his past. This is the A plot. So you've got an A plot and a, a, plot and a B plot in this episode. And the A plot looks into his past and it's quite a serious story. Okay. You know, the B plot is quite funny, but the, the A plot is more, it's not played for laughs. It's, you know, it's looking into change and how people you know how, how people change over time it's got a bit of death in there as well um some dark allusions to sort of some starfleet experiments going on that were quite quite bad or quite kind of like off the books kind of work you know like intelligence type stuff so it was it was a big tonal shift in some ways uh and you could kind of i, I think what it was doing was it was it was kind of i think this episode is foreshadowing what's to come with the show because at some point weirdly enough lower decks is going to have a a, a a live action crossover with strange new worlds which is a, a live action star trek show at the moment and i couldn't really see that until now where they've they've offered this this kind of more serious tone um in the show so and I, I now know watching that, that episode that lower decks is capable of that yeah that's and pretty cool you know that it could go forward um, I, I, you know, the slapstick humor thing wouldn't have worked in a, a live action show as much, I don't think. So yeah, it's certainly going in a good direction for sure. Excellent. Okay, dokie. Uh, you've also watched Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Yeah, yeah. I've heard. Now, you want you, yeah. you want to talk you want to talk about something that addresses some racial problems? This is something that does that because Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer. Most of his victims were from the black gay community, 
And the reason that there was a huge controversy about this, and I'm glad the show addresses this because the last few episodes very much look into this, the idea that there were neighbours of his phoning the police and saying that things were going on and the police didn't take it seriously or didn't care because, well, can you guess that these communities were the number one on their list to look after? I mean, there was one point where, wait till you this, right? One of Jeffrey Dahmer's victims managed to escape, mm-hmm. right? And one of his neighbours phoned the police and was sitting outside with this guy. This kid, 14-year-old kid, who couldn't speak because Jeffrey Dahmer had poured chemicals into his brain. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, he had a hole in his head, didn't he? Right? He uh, literally yep. drilled a hole in his head. Yep. The police are there. Jeffrey Dahmer comes around the corner with a few cans of beer. He says, well, that's my boyfriend. He's drunk. Mm-hmm. The police escorted the guy back into Jeffrey Dahmer's flat with him. Yeah. That's scary. I, heard I mean, this. they were shocking, yeah. right? Shocking, right? So, you know, the um, previous, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there about Jeffrey Dahmer, right? Books and whatever. But there's never been something that really shines a light on that side of it and says that Jeffrey, I mean, the thing is, there's a black cop in it who, there's a white cop and a black cop when they were interviewing Dahmer. Obviously, they're talking to Dahmer. And the black cop says, let's face it, why did you live there? Why did you choose to live in that particular area? It's because you knew they wouldn't be missed. It's because you knew that the community was underserved by the police. And the thing is, Jeffrey Dahmer says, I didn't really think about that, right? So, but whether Jeffrey Dahmer really did or didn't, that's not the point. But the police are kind of pilloried rightly in this um, in this, uh, this series. And it's not just the black community. I mean, one of the victims was uh, an Asian American. But, it, it, you know, it, you don't get any more sort of marginal than black gay do you i mean in terms of especially at that time in the early 90s being gay was like with the whole hiv thing going on people thought if you touched the same thing as a gay person you were going to get hiv and then obviously the kind of racial thing and compounded that as well so yeah i mean aside from that part of it which i think i think that was probably the bit i was most impressed with was that they they explored that and did not allow the viewer to turn away from that you know that you 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 know that as much as it was about the gruesome murders and all that, it was about the fact that he was allowed to kill seventeen people despite the fact that they were phoning the police over and over again on him, hmm. right? Because they were black. That's a simple fucking fact of the matter, right? Like you got to just you know that's it. It was there. It was plain as day. What's interesting is that you know there's other aspects to this. Like Jeffrey Dahmer himself was a complicated serial killer because Jeffrey Dahmer didn't seem to like what he did and thought he was insane and tried to tell his dad at one point and also had a method of killing his victims which caused them no pain because he didn't want them to suffer so he would he would do all of the disgusting horrible things after they were dead what he would do is he would drug them so that they were unconscious completely knocked out then he would strangle them while they were unconscious and then he would do his stuff that he did so you know it was it, it, it was weird. He was, you know, and and then when he got caught, he he was brought in and he said to the police, um, "Yep, I don't need a lawyer. Um, this is where all the bodies are. This is who they are. I've saved everybody's IDs." Um, it's scary, and, isn't it? And you know, and um, if I get sentenced, can I please be executed? That's what he said. He said, "I would like the electric chair, but unfortunately, mm. they didn't have the electric chair." Right now, the series does show his death in prison. Right mm. when Dahmer died in prison. He was killed by a black guy in prison, right? And there's an element of this where it shows it... In the series, it sort of shows it as if the black guy figures out what he's done and all that kind of thing. But there's always been a theory that Dahmer, because he wasn't able to be executed, sort of... Seeks his... Uh-huh. Yeah. 
found like noised up someone to get himself killed because it's so interesting right you know there's a load of serial killers out there right ted bundy ed gain um whatever right uh, John Wayne Gacy. There's loads of serial killers out there. Dammer is the only one who ever basically was like, basically just straight up was like, right, mm. I got what I deserve. You know, like, I, I deserve to be killed. There's something wrong with me. You know, his dad was trying to get him off on an insanity plea and Dammer didn't do it. Apparently. Dammer was like, no, I'm not insane. I wasn't insane. <laughs> so it's it's a fascinating, like, those are the two fascinating aspects. Well, you've You've got the horrible thing about the fact that he was allowed to get away with it because the police didn't take the the black people, his black neighbours seriously um, and didn't want to pursue the deaths or missing, like the, the fact that loads of gay black men were missing, right? And then you've got the other side of it of this compelling character of Dahmer who who seemed to loathe himself as well, which is, is really unusual. Okay, you know? so it's coming to an end here. Um what would you give this? It feels weird to ask for a star rating considering how monstrous and horrific the subject matter that, that to view it as a piece oh. of entertainment, but what would, obviously from a recommendation point of view, what would you give this? I'd give it a five, but I think you're right to point out the distinction here because it's not... I'm giving it five stars precisely because it's not comfortable to watch. Yeah. You know what it I mean? It succeeds think, in what it's trying to do. Yeah, I, I, I'm giving it five stars because it gets across the injustice of it and the the failing mm. and, 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 and the, the confusing nature of Dahmer himself as well. It gets all that across to the viewer and it doesn't let you turn your face away from things that, you know, and obviously we are Scottish, right? So we are we live in a different country where there's not the same racial mix in the country. There's, you know, you're not, you've not got, you know, it's in America. It's very much a case where you've got areas filled with people that are marginalised like that. It's a, it's so much more the case there that are of a particular ethnic group. And I can only imagine how uncomfortable it would be to watch this over there as an American person, and to know, like, say, say you were living in your nice gated community and everybody around you is all white, and you're watching this program and thinking, "Gosh, like, if I was living there and I was an American, I'd be thinking, gosh, I wonder what's going on out out there now.'" Mm-hmm. You know, it would make me pause and think about that. Okay. So I think it's I think it's a great, great piece of work. And you know, as a final note, um, I think that there were critics of this who were saying, "Well, they just had to make it about race." It was like, "Fuck you, man!" In this case, it is about it. It's a fundamental part of the story. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, I think I think that aspect of it definitely is a huge part of why I'm giving it five stars as much as the character study of Dammer himself as well. Okay. And his father. I would give a special note to the guy that plays his dad because he's one of the best actors and I can't remember who it is that plays him, but yeah, really, 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 really good. Okay. Five stars for Monster, Jeffrey Dammer story. So Gordon, uh, Golden Era, this is something you've watched recently, a documentary. Yep. Um, might interest you this one, Steve. It's about Goldeneye, the N64 game. The thought, maybe you will um, correct me in this, but generally regarded as one of the most groundbreaking popular video games of all time. It's in the conversation. It's especially in the shooter genre. Um, you know, it depends what camp you're on. If you've been playing PC games in the early 90s, you probably don't have a high opinion of Goldeneye because essentially they 
the the games on PC were Doom and Quake and all these kind of things, Unreal Tournament and GoldenEye was just a sort of like, uh, okay, um, as for console people, but for console players, especially in the nineties, this was groundbreaking as hell. And the things it did, uh, I'll let you finish in a minute, but yeah, the things it did were like the animations for henchmen that had, you know, usually they they would just die and they would have a canned animation when a henchman is shot, but. Uh, rare actually animated all the body parts so if you shot the guy's leg he would move around as if you'd shot his leg or his bum or his arm and things like that that was the sort of thing that and of course the multiplayer but anyways i will let you continue yes it is a groundbreaking game yeah putting money into the our bond bank it's going to go into overdrive here maybe i only need to do it once because i'm actually saying in advance i'm going to be talking about something bond related but yeah. this was on sky documentaries as far as i'm aware it's the it's probably to my knowledge that I'm sure there's others, but the only actual video documentary on like mainstream TV focusing on a particular game, it probably isn't, certainly for this game anyway, and there's been a lot on YouTube, but um, I mean, it was quite professionally made. It was um, a good hour and 50 minutes long, I think, and it just gave a lot of background to the making of the game. The Just the, the way the stars aligned in making that game, how groundbreaking, like I said, it was at the time. There was a lot of detail about the legacy it's had, and for a long time the documentary was talking about the following Bond games, the following first-person shooters that were based on it. But uh, I mean, the most exciting things to hear for me were just really the the way, like I said, the way the stars aligned making that game at that time. Um, the fact that Rare were they were quite a small company, weren't they? And they had a, they had a base in a village. Yeah, and or Rareware is it, I think, I don't know, Rare I think the is official, the proper name. Yeah, I think people know him as Rare, but I think legally it was Rareware as the, the full name. Yeah. But yeah, it was Rare. It, it, was a, it was a small crew. I mean, they had, that hadn't, some of them were just new out of university. Yeah. And this was the first project they ever worked on, and they had so much time to make it. It was getting delayed and delayed. They they worked in some barn, like, akin to, like, a, a band that produces a greatest ever record and a, like some chateau in, in the middle of nowhere you yeah. know it's like there's probably that vibe that came into it and they just got such freedom by the people in charge it was a small company and what the what the people behind the making of the game were saying was these days you just don't get that there's so much more corporation involved you don't really get that freedom to just play about with it it's the fact like the 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 multiplaying element to the goldeneye game was an afterthought really and it's there would be nothing like it where you can plug your mates can all plug in their own controller and we've done it so much ourselves obviously it doesn't exactly take a genius to work out that i'm a big fan of bond as well so see when you're when you're and i was a big fan of bond when i was a kid when that came out and when you've got that and this new console is one of the first consoles out in the nintendo 64 the the z trigger on the controller was again nothing had been done like it before it's like you're holding your own gun it's just uh it was such an, a, a groundbreaking game and it's, it's just it's just it's such a legacy the fact that they actually made a documentary i just discovered it two days ago and i thought um like i definitely need to watch it and it's talked about like there's been the attempts to revive the game like an hd version steve you'll probably know more about that than me but uh it's like the fact that they're still trying to they're still 20 years later there's not really been a First of all, there's never been another Bond game that's come close. There's, I think there's a lot of first-person shooter games that just really still haven't quite recaptured that vibe from the time. Yeah, it's such new, an important game, isn't it? Uh, I think there's a new Bond game 
in the works by the same company that done Hitman. Yeah, IDOS Interactive. Yeah, uh, yeah it'll be totally different. It's It'll be probably more fitting for actually the Bond license. Yeah. As much as GoldenEye is fantastic, yeah, I've got lots to say about that, but, you know, a first-person shooter isn't actually, when you think about it, what really James Bond is all about. The spy element to it is probably yeah. actually what probably might be more better captured in the new game coming out. But anyways, GoldenEye, yeah, what a what a legacy! I think I've spoken about it loads of times. Um, Gordon, you mentioned this. What is this this documentary on? Did you say it was on Sky? Yeah, it was Sky documentaries. It'll probably be available on. I think I think it's on Netflix as well. Right. Possibly. I'll look out for it on that. And, and another thing I was going to say was obviously. I mean, I would have preferred. It was more it more of a video game angle than a Bond angle. There wasn't really much of a Bond angle. Still, enjoy, I would have preferred if it did, of course. Um, it did mention, of course, the famous um, bit that got removed from the game, which was the ability to go the the older Back incarnations of Bond. Yeah. In the multi- there was like a Roger Moore, a Sean Connery version, and a Dalton version. And yeah, I think it was the three of them, wasn't it? No lazy but <laughs> No, yeah. No lazy baby. And, it got, and it, apparently it was because the reason that it had to, it was all ready to go and Sean Connery's representatives said that they couldn't use his likeness, which I do find very strange given that he went out his way to provide his voice and his likeness for the From Russia With Love game years later. But it's a real shame we never got to see that. It's like one of the great might have beens. Yeah, of, I think. Of what you, I, I can't remember the game. I never, I never actually had N64. But what was there a, did you have the ability to slap and Goldeneye. Yeah, Slappers Only yeah. was one of the modes. Ah, right, okay. And it was like a sort of downward like karate <laughs> chop slap thing. It was hilarious. And yeah, yeah, it was good. the game was fantastic. Like um the probably the timing of this release I, su- I suspect has came joint with Nintendo and Microsoft's announcement. So Nintendo have their own Nintendo online service where they're adding slowly all the uh, as much of the N64 games as they can and Goldeneye was revealed. So they did like all the Mario parties are coming over the next year and all these other games that were on it, um, sports games, a couple of things like that. And then they sort of, sort of blacked out for a second and said, oh, and one more. And then... Duh, duh, duh. Mm. <laughs> so GoldenEye yeah, is finally... Because it was rumoured yeah. for ages and the reason it didn't come out, I think, at the beginning of the year was because of the war in Ukraine. They're about to announce it, I think, then. But because of, obviously, the tensions with um, in, in Russia and Ukraine and the heavy Soviet, you know, feeling and 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 the game then they, yeah, these, they felt they couldn't do it imagine, imagine that as well I, did you know there was actually a game I think we were talking about it in that other podcast thing but the, a game where the um, developers were making it in in the middle of the war zone yeah yeah what was that again? Uh, it's great. We can't. We brought it up and can't remember the name of it. Um, I know, it's, yeah. but it certainly is. I it's mean, been in the mad for years. To think, yeah, it? it's insane. Uh, here's a here's a question for you, Steve. Would you want because Gordon alluded to there that they're potentially remaking or re? So that was what I was going to come to. Thank you for would you, me. Would you? So would you want it? I want both. I want what I really wanted from this is nearly what we've got, but it's not quite. So Nintendo are bringing. So I pay for the online services only like. 30 odd quid a year and you get to play these games on your hd version of the switch you can play it handheld all that there's your advertisement for the nintendo switch um yep yep you're a paid show yep yep so <laughs> but they're, they're, so they're bringing it to they're bringing it to that which fine that to me it's going to be the closest emulation of the game which means it will be more or less the game just 
be able to work on the Switch. But they're also, they've made a deal to secure online play. But I think how they're doing it is actually similar to what they're doing for, like, say, Mario Kart and things like that, where it's like as if your screen is still split. Like, uh, and it's not like they're creating a whole new mode that's not in the game. It's as if you're playing split screen multiplayer with your friend in the couch, but it happens to be he's in a different building or a room at house so it's a bit strange i think that's how they're going to do it but microsoft are getting the same game but without the online play at all so they're getting a limited version however they are getting theirs added to their subscription service free of charge and i've obviously there's a game that the rare replay package that had all of the rare games it's now getting added into that that i've already paid for so that's cool but yeah the remastered game the one that actually that got leaked a couple of years ago during the pandemic that was made and almost released in 2006 and 7 but nintendo said nope actually no we don't want to do it anymore because they weren't going to get much out of it at the time they that's apparently still not coming out so that and apparently it's really good as well and that's got hd graphics and all that kind of stuff just everything's a wee bit look better looking and plays better with modern controls and stuff. i guess maybe the new one on the microsoft console will still do that so that's the thing that i'm missing uh, I would love that. But anyways, it might still come out eventually. Who knows? Anyways, that's probably a lot of time on a game. Yeah, so well, that's... Um, I was just going to say that it does show the legacy that all of that company's games had in particular, the fact that you're able to do that now. But the last thing I was going to say was just like stylistically, I quite like the documentary because it had like every time it, it brought up um, like a member of Rare on the screen. Um, it was like every wee kind of, like it simulated to be health bar as oh, a wee icon, yeah. which yeah. is nice. quite nice. And it was good. It was good. It showed you a lot of the original technical drawings and the 3D skeletons for the, like just general objects and characters and things like that. And um, there's a kind of comedic element as well to it. So no, that was, it was something different. It's not the sort of documentary I would usually watch. Did any of them have lower health? Or were they all full health? No, some of them had like in the blue ones. Some of them it was a classic. <laughs> Did it do the breath thing when it's like, <gasps> when you get hit? No, it's a bit. When I say about the comedic element, like every so often it, I'd have like the guards, um, like yelps when they get shot. It's like ah, ooh, and all that. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and it had. Uh, they were able to obviously. I don't know because they now they can just get into the inners of the game. They were able to like create sequences. Like in, in rooms that looked like one of the present day, like guys that were like dressed as a scientist tapping away at a computer and things like that, and like twenty people in the one room <laughs> without any guns. Have you, I think there's a YouTube video of someone like walking and playing as if they're like the character in the game. Yeah, like, that stilted uh-huh. movement things like that. Yeah, it's stuff like that. Like, yeah, when they do that, yeah. when you kneel and stuff like that, that awkward sort of crouch, slowly turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I so... find it quite funny that like you'd have rooms with you go in the room and have, like it's like how do they operate in this lab? Like the scientists are just standing there the whole time. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, a computer spot. like that. <laughs> okay, last on the TV section. This is going to be a long podcast. I'm starting to get that feeling. Uh, My Life as a Rolling Stone. Gordon, you've seen this first episode of this. Uh, yep. How is this? Interesting angle about this is, first of all, the Rolling Stones are they're probably up there with your Beatles, Chuck Berry, Little Richard is just the the real icons of rock and roll that, that the, the, the groups or individuals that made this whole brand of music that probably we're all most of us i think anyway are into bands that somehow owe a lot to the rolling stones and they were they were kind of almost neck and neck with the beatles in the 1960s um 
But the interesting thing about this is they have an episode focusing on each band member, and it came shortly after the death of Charlie Watts, the drummer in 2021, obviously a long-standing member. But um, so there's there's an episode on Mick Jagger, there's an episode on Keith Richards, and there's an episode on Ronnie Wood. So I, I was watching the Jagger one, and he's just he's such an iconic character, just as a frontman. His voice, which is still incredible to this day, his kind of camp stage persona, which I really love, is just so different even in the 1960s they were just such a groundbreaking band um just gives you a lot of insight into it's fairly um they do keep it quite simple which i like i do like the style of it having an episode focusing each band member and uh there's this incredible quality almost like hd quality footage from the 1960s of the band mostly rehearsing but also in other scenarios just color footage some of it, it i'm amazed that some colour footage actually comes out these days from the 1950s and 60s how were they able to do that it's amazing yeah yeah it's like when you see remastered footage of like even things like the older you know the war stuff i always love seeing it when someone's been able to get it looking quite clear and good and it always amazes me that they had them um, to get that kind of footage back then and yeah. the yeah i mean the, the documentary doesn't try to be too clever because these days, documentaries are always trying to do something new, but I suppose it is the way it focuses on each band member per episode, and it's over an hour each one, I think. But yeah, so it's available on the BBC iPlayer. Definitely, if you're a fan of rock and roll music and you're not necessarily a Stones fan, you should still watch it just to learn about the band. Because one thing I love doing is not only like watching programs and reading about bands I'm into, but learning about new bands as well. I, I go through like all the classic albums of the like available on Sky for so many. You've got your like Elton John and Fleetwood Mac and these people. And it's like, even if you're not a Stones fan, if you're into something remotely related to that genre of music, watch it because you can just learn so much from it. It's got so much of the funny rock and roll cliches as well. Um, like, apparently, I never knew this, but apparently there was something in the late 60s when the Stones were getting really huge. And one of them thought, well... I ought, we ought to try and find out how much money we're making from this tour and all these albums. And one of the corporate people working for the band who was, of course, not doing their job, they were basically getting fleeced like a lot of bands were. And, after, and despite the height of their fame, they were basically told they would not get any money. You guys haven't earned anything the last few days, the last few years, rather. So um, we're actually in debt. It's like, I don't know if there was, was that maybe in Spinal Tap or something. It's just something that seems so, yeah. to happen where... It was kind of an Elvis to a degree, wasn't it? Like, he wasn't making as much money as he was supposed to be making. Yeah. Out yeah. in tour. It was been siphoned away to things he wasn't aware of as well. Um, excellent. That so, really happened. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I think it is probably the, the sort of common story, really, sadly, in the sort of the, the especially in the bands of those days. Well, uh, maybe the Stones, uh, maybe they made it back with the royalties from Bittersweet Sympathy from the Verve. Mm, yeah. Yeah. What what was that? Uh, I didn't. Oh, Bittersweet Symphony. Yeah. The, yeah, so bit... the Verve never actually made the money from that because the the rights were actually from the Stones, wasn't it? So basically, it's a song called The Last Time. Does it sounds nothing like the Bittersweet mm. Symphony um, sort of orchestral bit? But there's a chap called Andrew Oldham who done a cover of The Last Time, but an orchestral version. And if you listen to that, it's called The Last Time. If you listen to that, that literally is um, bittersweet sympathy. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. uh, and basically the Rolling Stones said, well, it's a 
it's a it's like a kind of cover of one of our songs. So basically, the Verve never made a penny from that. But I think it was settled recently, where they they um they they get the Verve. I don't think it's I don't think it's backdated as such, but the Verve are now earning royalties from from that song, oh, wow. which is a bit shit. It's a bit shit. I mean, surely, come on, guys, come on, Mick. You must have earned that a lot of money. You know, when did when did that song come out? Sort of mid nineties. Mm. Surely they'd earned yeah. enough to be yeah. like, I on on you go, on yeah. you go. Bear, bear in mind, they would have been earning the money from the album sales anyway. No, and see, it's a really bizarre thing. Is if you listen to the song the last time, it sounds nothing like. I was about to say that I couldn't put those two songs like next to each other. I, it's basically the the vocal rhythm. So it's like da 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 da. da. That's what Rolling Stone song is, and then and- Andrew Oldham sort of just turned it into a sympathy. They're gonna like lose money through that. Uh, I'm sorry, gain money through that. It's like I look at all the Oasis stuff, which is much more well, obvious, like well, most other bands. But well, that's the thing. I mean, there's 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 a lot of controversy with these music lawsuits because a lot of the time, because there's so few notes, the combinations of notes aren't that large. I mean, there's there's quite a large combination of notes, but like you're going to come across a lot of songs that have. I mean, most popular songs have the same chord structure, hmm. and you know, it's all—it's the flourishes on top. Melodies themselves, you know, there are so many songs out there that have similar melodies. You know, it's just—it's yeah, difficult. I mean, the Beatles, the Beatles, practically just ripped off like Motown stuff. Not ripped off, but you know what I mean. There's a lot of stuff that the Beatles done. Well, that's it exactly. I mean, where does influence yeah. end and plagiarism yeah. begin? I mean, it's it's much easier to find plagiarism in literature than it is to find it in music because you know you can you can lift aspects of music and build from them. For sure. I mean, there's there's obvious ones like if you mention an Oasis, Shaker Maker is so obvious. It's I'd like to teach the world to sing. Now, whether that was blatant from Noel Gallagher or whether he just went fuck it, it sounds good, let's just go with it. Um, you know what I mean? There, there is yeah. obvious ones, but there's ones where you're right. It's, it's very it's, it's different. Difficult. Very, ah, if you're, you're trying to create us, you know, I'm a songwriter, you're a songwriter fan. How many times did you write something? You thought, God, that sounds really good, but and then you play it to someone and somebody goes, ah, that's that's the Smiths. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had interesting things where, like, I've listened to artists and I think what I kind of do with it more is rather than the melodies themselves i think there are certain times where i'll I'll emulate or lift not lift but like try to emulate in my own way sounds that i think are quite cool in terms of the tone do you know what i mean the the actual sound of the instrument or whatever the like because i I work a lot with synths Hmm. so you know you can have a sort of an 80s feel or you can have a a a, a more of a 90s like there are certain tweaks you can do to synths that sound like something else in terms of the melody side of things or the chord structure i've certainly and i I can tell you for a fact i've done this i've had songs where i've heard a bit of it and i've thought i quite like that bit i'm gonna take that wee tiny bit and start have that as my starting point and then build from there and see what comes from it and by the end it's unrecognizable but i don't I, i would heavily doubt that and and again, there are times like yourself where I've written something and someone has said that sounds like such and such. Yeah, that's happened as well. Right, and then it's like, oh, right, that's that so, scrap then. <laughs> well, I I don't know. I I think at that point, you 
I mean, I would wipe away the flourishes, go back to basics on it, and see if there was something else you could build from it. But I mean, if you if you break down all the popular songs, they have the same chord structure. So really, we're listening to the same feel good song all the time. <laughs> it's just get different different adornments on it, I suppose. A funny story, very very quickly. I wrote a song, recorded it for the band. There was no um, brass, so when we when I quit the band. I redone it using brass, um, like MIDI, Fran, um, just obviously yeah. through the synth, etc. And I put brass over this song, re-recorded it, and somebody says, um, totally innocently, and 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 work. Oh, that sounds like that S Club Seven song, <laughs> Re- Reach for the Stars. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh no, that's never getting played again then. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> I was I was about to joke to say like oh the only time I tried to make a song and uh, there we go it sounds like the hamster dance or something like that you know just every <laughs> every song leads back to something but uh, okay let's move on then to the look back section our final section for today where we take a quick review of a film we have watched over the month that has come out uh, not this year so. I'll start. I watched, based on our um, movie we watched for the Deja Review uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Austin Powers International Man of Mystery film from 1997. I watched the sequels, both Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, and Austin Powers Goldmember, uh, released respectively in 1999 and 2002. And my opinion of those films has always been the first one's the best, and yes, that is still the case. And it's a slight decline as they, they go on. For me, the sequel, the second one, is a bit... It's actually it, it aged better in my head in terms of my the humour level. Like, I actually... I remember years ago when I rewatched it, I thought it was actually so... It, you know, it used a lot of the same jokes in the first one, and I thought maybe it's not quite as funny. But actually, I laughed quite a fair bit on my second viewing. And, you know, Fat Bastard, obviously as a character that's probably not going to age well in time. Um, but there's, especially from the Scottish element, at least I can I can sort of laugh at that. Uh, and yeah, I, I just enjoy it. My favourite sequence is, <laughs> and I was howling with laughter as it, as it came on, it's near the start when Austin is at the nightclub. I think it's Austin's pad or whatever it is. And um, he's dancing and one of Dr. Evil's assassins is there and she, for some reason, just cannot die. <laughs> so she gets shot to pieces by one of the guys. She then says, get the bazooka! And the guy fires a bazooka. It hits her. Austin maneuvers her into the way. They both get chucked out the window. And as they're falling, she's like, prepare to die, Powers! And then he slowly, in the worst like CG or whatever, uh, you know, photography they've used to do it, maneuvers her. So he lands on top of her. And as they're... <laughs> crumples down on the ground the concrete smashes her into the ground and then she says prepare to die palace again he's like why won't you die <laughs> i love it it's just it's just that kind of silly the the just non-stop stupidity of it is kind of funny but it's not as good as the first one and gold member uh that film is tiresome i really actually that went so i would give the spy shag me i'd give it four quite a generous four maybe i could maybe see it being a three but i I kind of had a good time with it it's a four but gold member is a two i found it just dick joke the film like it is non-stop and remind me again steve is that that's the whole 
there's people I hate, the Dutch. Oh, yeah. Kind of yeah, so um, the only good thing Beyonce, about... Beyonce, Yeah, Beyonce is actually fine in it. They don't give her a lot. Like, she's not really a well-fleshed-out character. She's fucks yeah. Cleopatra. Cleopatra. But she's actually... She comes off kind of cool in the film. Like, she's actually pretty decent in it. Like, I would say, that, you know, it's just the writing isn't maybe as good for her, but, like, the and, and Michael Caine's the other great standout. His lines are great. He... He's fantastic in it. You know, you've got an issue, he's a tissue. And, uh, you know, he's just the the English-English the bit. Oh, Dad, we're going to speak in English. Our, our giveaway spy stuff is speaking. It's that kind of Cockney rhyming slang yeah. section. That's the funniest bit for me. Like, there's a couple of little moments like that. But the rest of the film is tiresome. Like, the joke is dead. The Bond references are much less in Goldmember. Obviously, Goldfinger, Goldmember, but it's the barely... And it's more just pop culture, you know, they're doing like, you know, they're in the jail scene, Dr. Evil and Mini-Me, and it's kind of rap yeah. stuff, and it's just, just, the Osbournes are in it as a cameo, and... Did they release that as a song? I think I'm so. I'm pretty sure yeah. that, what was, what's the song? It's, um... The Hard Knock Life, yeah. Hard Knock Life, I'm pretty sure they released that as an actual single. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I'll, I'll just say that because I wasn't on the Austin Powers one, like, I'd I have seen all three. I don't remember them too. I, I do agree with you, Steve. Probably the first one's the funniest, and obviously most original. Yeah. And yeah. having recently watched Thunderball and not long ago watched You Only Live Twice, I think those two films in particular, they just like oh, took yeah. so much from them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I do remember, because you watched with me the, the Bond Everything or Nothing, the, the 50th anniversary documentary. Mike Myers spoke quite a bit in that and just. He was such a. You probably cover this in the cast, which I've not heard, but he he was a, a massive Bond fan himself, and that's part of his reasoning for doing it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that they they did all the best jokes in those first two films. They got all of the Bond sort of tropes perfectly, especially in the first film. But the, there was a few that in the second one that they they could use, um, and there's some re- reuse, which is why it is, it's you know. It's, um, but the third one just feels lazy. Like even Myers himself just looks a little less. Just mm. there's there's even an awkward like the chemistry between Austin Powers and Beyonce's character Foxy Cleopatra. Like that it's barely there. And so there's a scene at the end where they kiss, and it's really fucking awkward. <laughs> like mm. I was like, oh, this is this looks weird. Like it just they seemed really. Like, it just looked like they were uncomfortable for some reason. Maybe that was the joke, though. Maybe, but... Because I, I don't think... If it was think... a joke, like, that's a weird joke, because it, it's not funny. But anyways, mm. all the stuff with uh, Scott in it is rubbish, like him turning evil, he's losing his hair. Mm. I just thought... I like Seth Green in, in the other films, but I think just the joke is not very good. And there's just... I don't know. It's just, do you know the funny thing is? They almost... You know, it's funny that they did that reveal in the third one where Dr. Evil and Austin Powers are actually like stepbrothers or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, to think how crazy they were, the Bond writers and producers and, and uh, Spectre, to actually use, kind of go with that in the actual real Bond films. Like, that's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's funny. So Austin Powers takes a lot from Bond, and Bond, Bond actually took something from Austin Powers. I think accidentally. I don't think they probably realised it, but either way. What was the thing? What was the thing, Inspector again? Well, Bond and it was really Stepbrothers, or... brothers, though. Like oh. sometimes people exaggerate it a bit, but it was a daft idea. They were with the Step Brothers, yeah. 
They were, yeah, well, they essentially, like, was it not because um, Blofeld, when he was Oberhauser, was his dad kind of took in bonds oh, to stay with him after his yeah. parents had yeah. died? Right, so there was a sort of familial link there still. It's that mm. kind of thing. But it's, anyways, so that, yeah, but the third film, uh, it's just, yeah, it's not good. I was bored halfway through it and I realised, yeah, this the joke is done. Uh, so so was, I think there was, um, I'm not actually sure if it's still in sort of like on the table. But there was there was meant to be a fourth film. Yeah, um, and I'm glad they not, didn't do not it. Not soon after it, just yeah. the decline for me was like I went from a five. I gave the first one a five on that podcast. I gave mm. Spy Shag me a four, and I was close to giving Goldmember a three. But as I was watching, I was like, "This is I'm really not. This is starting to get just it's just not working for me. The jokes just aren't working." <clears> so yeah, two stars for that one. Um, Scott, you watched Last Action Hero. How was that rewatch? Um. It's, it, not as not I, I wasn't as fond of the film after I watched it this time as I was probably you know watching it as a kid. Right. I think this, this came out as the height of Arnie uh, mania because it was obviously his film. I think this was after T two. Yeah, it was was about a year after. I think yeah. nineteen ninety three. Yeah. But the bizarre thing, the bizarre thing is it, when, when I, I you read about the film, this was actually the start of the 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 turn. He turned into a comedy star before they well, kind of dropped a lot of the action stuff. Oh, well, can I? But but I actually see behind the scenes, Schwartz. This was Schwartz, Schwarzenegger was actually he was becoming the governor. He was bec- he was mm. getting into politics at this. So actually, he the la- last action hero is almost like his way of saying this is this is the last action film you're going to get me in type thing because he was moving well into the politics and stuff, and he didn't want to be shown as this you know, muscle-bound killer, you know, gun-toting, you know, that kind of thing. And they actually, it was Shane Black that done the script, and he actually, they, they had to revise it because I think Shane Black was a lot more, um, well, let's say violent as such. Um, but Schwarzenegger was like, no, don't, I don't want this. That's um, a shame. I suspect that if they had went maybe with the originals, maybe that could have been better. But who knows? I mean, it's still, it's still violent, um, but certainly toned down and, and again i think it was the whole idea of having the kid there there's the family dynamic as well um yeah it was, it's a safer it, it film a, like i was allowed to watch this film. as a kid yeah. my yeah, dad yeah. felt okay with me watching this yeah. without doing his usual edit where he would splice in and take out scenes that mm. were too violent or whatever yeah and I, I quite liked actually it's a while since i've seen last action hero i, I liked charles dance as a villain he's that villain he's looking of course he's yeah. glass eye doesn't he it's what does he say it's a it's, if you did a free sixty, you'd be back where right, you started. Yes, that's it. And it's a it's, what? It's, <laughs> he's brilliant. He's he's brilliant. I love I love these erratics. See when he um he's shouting at the guy, the guy at the garage just says, Excuse me, I'd like to test a theory, please. <laughs> and the guy's like, Yeah, how can I have that? Well <laughs> just shoots the guy. Yeah. It's just so. Uh, uh, Charles Dance is one of the huge positives from it. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I, I was struggling with was the kid. Mm. Oh my god, the kid was grating on me because this kid, he's in this film and he's basically just narrating. He's he's basically narrating through all the satire that's actually on show here. So is and that really writing then? That's changed. Yeah, we but yeah, it will it will be, and I just I just wish they would. It, they go the the scene when they go to the the sort of um, blockbusterish video store, right? 
and they see Stallone as Schwarzenegger, but in the T2 poster. And the boy's the boy has to say, "Well, that's you. That was your movie." And see, when I was watching it this time, I was kind of like, "God, I, I wish they just, I wish they, you know, they don't need to signpost it." Does that make sense? I guess like, that's just, where. When I, as a kid, I needed that. I mean, I was what? Yeah, I was probably about, it was maybe a few years later. I watched it. I was probably about nine or ten, maybe. But yeah. I think I probably needed that. So that's how the target audience was my age, nine years yeah. old, like not the thirty-year-old. And it's a shame because watching it now, th- those kind of beats that now I'm kind of like, God, I wish they were just a lot more subtle. There is a lot of subtle references and stuff in terms of the satire, but it's uh, a lot of it is laid on thick. Um, the, you remember, this- yeah, the, the joke that our friend Tom, uh, not in the podcast, he always talks about that made me laugh. I never got as a kid was the whole Miss Buddy Cops thing. That joke, isn't that a thing? Is it not that film? Where Miss Buddy Cops. Like, so like, there's... Is it not a section? Am I getting mixed up? I'm sure it's this film. So there's like a desk where police officers are paired together, but they're oh, all like yeah, yeah, yeah. they're all like really mismatched, kind of like Aye. really mm-hmm. obscure. Like there's is it not Father Christmas or something like that? Is one of them and a hot blonde or something like that? Yeah, like, he's the, he's and the, it's like the whole buddy cops thing is like that's the that's yeah. the joke is that they're always mismatched, you know, in films. And I can see that there's definite references from Shane Black's screenplay. So obviously he wrote Lethal Weapon. He's it's this is like a mockery of Lethal Weapon um, right. or a satire from it because especially the the first scene we see Schwarzenegger, it's literally like you know like a ridiculous amount of police cars in view, um, and Schwarzenegger obviously walks across the roof of all the police cars and stuff and yeah. Um, you know, it's so over the top, but it's 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 like the piss take of Lethal Weapon or the satire on that. So I think there's a lot of stuff that it it it's good. Um, it still stands up, but yeah, the the kid was grating on me very, 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 very early on. I um, think that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think Schwarzenegger does okay as what you would kind of expect Schwarzenegger to do. I thought some of the scenes where they they have Schwarzenegger as was it? Who does he play again? Does he play Macbeth? Yeah. It's like a scene where it plays Macbeth. You know, that that kind of stuff was hilarious for yeah. me. Like I, like I loved that. Um but yeah, I, I would probably say I'd probably say I'd probably say it's kind of went down in my expectations. Yeah. Since watching it now. Um, which is which is a shame because I, it was I, I loved it. I think that's the general consensus on you know the critics at the time probably are <laughs> saw what you're seeing just now. We were younger, mm. so it hit all the yeah. right points, but now with full context, I can I could I think that's the general consensus on the film. It is a bit of a, a misfire in most of their careers. I think it was. It was definitely the it was definitely the beginning of the parody, Arnie, yeah. wasn't it? Um as and but I think at his stage of his career he wanted to move away from that. He 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 wanted to do what was the film? I think he wasn't it the pacifier or something like that. It was I can't remember. It was he he wanted to go down the whole family friendly route, but that was purely because of his sort of political ambitions if you were yeah um, so i think the, what would nanny thing is what was it daddy daycare what was it called again i uh, think well no I think, kindergarten cop was one of them oh that's it yeah well, kindergarten, kindergarten cop with jingle all the way was that's, i think that was his last that's, before that's he, a brilliant film film, that, isn't it? Yeah. i love that film. i don't know i'm not a fan of it <laughs> the kindergarten it. kindergarten cop was although it was sort of you know, kiddie and stuff. It was pretty dark at points. Yeah, my memory is it was quite dark yeah, as a kid. Not... It wasn't like my favourite, but I think mm. I do remember it being quite dark. Um, what would you give Last Action Hero? I think now it'd probably have to be a three. Yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. 
Okay. Uh, Supergirl, Scott, you've seen that as well? Okay. This was this was a tough watch. This was a tough watch. I'm so curious about this, so I have to say. What is this? What year did this come out? What is it? Uh... So this was 1984. Right. I'd seen it I'd seen it as I was a when I was a young boy. Don't know when, don't know where, but I do I did recall it. And there was certain scenes that I remembered like vividly. Um and one of the scenes was when um Supergirl gets sent back to the Phantom Zone and she's like trying to crush rocks and her fingers, her hands bleed and she goes in this like kind of green goo and all that kind of stuff. So there was moments where it was like before I watched it again, it was it was in my mind. Um but man, watching this film again, I have no idea. I have no idea what they were doing making this film. It's so bad. It's so bad. Okay. Like yeah. acting, um, Helen Slater, I mean she looks like beautiful and but oh my god, her acting, she's just, it's almost as if somebody just said, play, act as if you are dumb and and so naive because everything she says sounds like that. <laughs> And it's like, oh my god! And then you've got Peter O'Toole, um, who plays Zalta. He's very much like every every one of his scenes. It's like loud, aggressive, kind of almost um, Shakespearean delivery. Well, he was probably drunk most of the time. Yeah, I was gonna say, probably. I mean, probably he, I mean, I mean, he, he he plays it as if he is. Um, it's so it's so bad. And then I've seen like a one star review here. It's get it's getting there, right? I, I, it, it, I never caught it um, before, but they, they do this terrible thing where they try and set rules because so Supergirl, Supergirl come, she is the cousin of Superman, right? And uh, at this moment in time, Krypton's obviously gone, Superman's on Earth. They're, Amazing that his cousin lived in it out of all those well, buildings. Exactly. So they're in a place called Argo City, which was like a like a Krypton colony that survived the, the, the death of the planet, right? Um, and she basically there's a thing i think it's a hedron something it's called so it's basically a macguffin right so basically peter O'Toole loses the macguffin supergirl has to travel to get it back and and ends up in earth right so she has to get this macguffin back to go back and save argo say right that's kind of the plot in a nutshell um i've no i've no idea why the film justified an, an additional one hour and 40 minutes like it, <laughs> like it really should have been done in 10 minutes that's, that's all this film justifies okay um but a lot i actually started laughing out loud when i when they done it so basically this thing the MacGuffin. so it basically like kind of plays with like electrical stuff so for example the the big bad in it selena she can start a car without the keys right and the radio comes on and you hear this news reporter going, and Superman has travelled thousands of miles away to deal with intergalactic politics. And it's just like, all right, so that's why Superman's not here then. And he's just like, oh my mm. God, this is so bad. It's yeah. almost like so bad. Basil Exposition again, isn't it? I was kind of a wee bit like that, but it's just like, because obviously the main thing is, is that, oh, well, she's going to go and you're going to see Christopher Reeve, you're going to see Superman. Super no, he's away thousands of light years away dealing with something that no one knows about, so therefore it's Supergirl's time. We couldn't afford to get him in the film, that's why. That's <laughs> terrible. They, 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 I mean, they tried, but the soundtrack is just... At any time Supergirl's on screen and she's flying, there's just this 
soundtrack where they've tried to rip off John Williams' score, but it's not that great. Um, and it actually becomes quite irritating after a while. Um, as I say, the way that she's portrayed, that she's she's also innocent, and oh my God. Um, <laughs> well, that's the thing, I suppose. Like Superman himself is like American apple pie, all-round great guy, isn't he? Like generally speaking, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, Superman himself as a character could be a little bit twee at times, you know, like especially in the older films. But he's, he's a lot you know, more I've got to do the right thing. I've got yeah. to do the right, you know, and all this kind of thing. Like, it does no wrong, whatever. Um, but yeah, I can see how, I can see how they, it seems as if they, they've gone off the deep end on that with her. Oh, it was so, it was it was jarring at times. Um, and even when she goes into her, her alter egos, I think it's Linda Lee, Linda Lai, I'm not sure. Um, She's just the exact same. She's just the exact same person with a, a black-haired wig on. Still talks the same. Oh my that's, god! That's how you know someone's evil. And it's the same as the. It's well, the not, same not evil, but like, uh, but I suppose you could say it's still as it's as ridiculous as Clark Kent's. Um, you know, I thought, you know, I saw the scene. Pair of glasses. One of the scenes from the old films, like when he's with Lois Lane in the apartment, and, and she's like, "I knew you were Superman," or whatever, and she shoots the gun at him, and then he just slowly takes the glasses off, and it's like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" Like you know, how on earth? Steve, could you do me a favour right, right now? Stephen Barry has got glasses on. Steve, could you slowly take those glasses off for us for a second just to do an experiment? Right, let's see. Like, oh, oh my God, my God it's Wesley Snipes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on here with Wesley Snipes. No, I didn't know. Okay, so... Not Stephen Barry, Stephen Seagal. It's, the old days. Uh, it's un- unfortunately for this, it's, uh, it's definitely a one-star film. It should not have been nearly two hours long. I'm never going to get that time back. Um, so yeah, okay. No, that's quite that's quite scary, isn't it? That that time is now just it's gone, gone mm. forever. All right, so that's definitely not a recommendation for the 1984 film Supergirl. And last on today's agenda is IT. Uh, oh God, Fran. <laughs> well, this is definitely not going to be a recommendation for me. But we'll, in fact, it might be in terms of having a few beers to have a laugh, right? So, Pierce Brosnan plays uh, an aviation magnate, basically. Like he's got a company that deals with like airplanes and all that, and technology and all this kind of thing, right? And basically, the company's developing some kind of new app application or something like that that will help them to make more money right so they've got um this new guy starts at the company uh this young guy he's like an it guy and the boss pierce brosnan rings him to go around and fix his wi-fi at home right (laughs) and his smart house like his big smart house his daughter's thinking the internet's not good enough right so the it guy comes around right um and uh so he meets the daughter when he's there. The daughter's only like 16 or 15 or something. Quite young. Well, maybe a wee bit older than that. I can't remember exactly. But um, basically, uh, the daughter kind of likes him. And they add each other on social media and they start talking to each other. Right? Then, um, basically, the the dad, Pierce Brosnan, finds out about this and gets quite annoyed that he's talking to his daughter. I think, I, I, from my recollection of the film, he get, the daughter invites the guy into the house and then he gets fired for that. But then the, the IT guy goes full psycho at this point and then starts to hack the business, hack the cameras in the smart home. And the house itself becomes like a, a, a death trap with like everything's going off and all that and exploding. And it's just mayhem. And the film, I mean, the film itself, like 
you've got this IT guy as the main villain in the film, and he just doesn't come up. He doesn't come off as the. He, he just he appears Brosnan in the strapping guy versus this IT guy. I mean, it's just this IT guy who's like hacking Wi-Fi to like turn his <laughs> oven on and all that, and God knows what else. It's just and it, but it gets crazier and crazier, right, as it goes on. Like you know, there's a, some some sort of car chase that takes place, and what a car chase. Does, like, uh uh-huh. and then then there's like chasing each other about the place on foot as well, and then there's like a, there's there is a a face to face thing at the end, right? Where yeah, I don't I don't care about fucking telling you about all this, right? Because you if you do watch it, you'll be laughing the whole way through anyway. But like the image of Pierce Brosnan full force punching this IT guy at the end is just ridiculous. You know, what I mean, it's like it would be like if Pierce Brosnan like brutally beat up Boris and Goldeneye or something like not a fair fight you know like it's just not a fair fight at all and then you know he kills him you know wow just, just kills him I love how this or at how, least he's all he's dying at least at that point I love how in the podcast we've started with Idris Elba fighting a lion to Pierce Brosnan murdering an IT guy yep. yeah and that's uh, that's one <laughs> <laughs> that, that's one spoiler I don't think we mind because I don't think the other way going to yeah, yeah. The, IT, the IT guy was defending his, his homeland from the poachers mm. <laughs> <laughs> all the IT guys were taken away and brought to different companies and he just had enough but I basically it's just uh, when I watched the film I laughed almost all the way through it basically I mean it was it was funny it was but it's not intentional was, yeah. right this is obviously not meant to be a comedy it's not meant to be at all but it's just it's perfectly funny it's really it, it just and the thing is as well Pierce Brosnan comes across as a slightly confused older guy throughout the film just like so grumpy about everything why is what what's going on what's wi-fi he doesn't understand anything about technology at all throughout the film he's just angered by it consistently annoyed by it he's like I've got to change my password from my email oh god's sake you know he's like <laughs> hates it you know and the thing is that causes his problems because he's so ignorant. He's such an ignorant luddite that this so guy can just run let, rings around him. He just lets the guy get on with it because he doesn't understand that the guy. The guy yeah, exactly. Ruins his life. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. He gives him the keys to the kingdom. You know. Uh. So, what would you give this, Fran? As an action film, I'd give it a one. As a comedy, I'd give it a fucking five. <laughs> right, okay. I mean, honestly, like, you know, it's it's a great film. Like, say you had a few pals round, you were having a few beers, and you stuck this on, you'd all be laughing, laughing the whole way through. Okay. It would be, you know, sit, have a few snacks, watch it, have a few beers, laugh at it. Oh, like, do you know what's funny? I've just Googled it, right? So Supergirl has an 8% Rotten Tomatoes score. And this has got a nine percent rotten oh, wow. tomato score. There you go. Glad you've left them for last. That's fantastic. <laughs> but the, the beauty of this film is like there are films like you've described, Scott, like Supergirl, that you don't enjoy the pain, and then there's mm. other films that somehow transcend themselves to become great because mm. they're so ridiculous. Like any yeah. Michael Bay film. I'd, I'd, well, yeah, I'd say even like be <laughs> beyond beyond that. Like, I think what's great about this film is that it's really trying hard to be gritty and and sort of a thriller as well. Like, you're like to give you this. Oh my god, this is psycho IT guy or whatever. It's but, like a really <laughs> mundane sort of like scenario with this. It's IT like guy. it's like this mastermind. He's like, I'm gonna send a I'm gonna send a fake email just mm. now. That'll get them. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking burn this guy's toast. 
Yes. Yeah, I'm going to film the daughter <laughs> of the shower and then send the video online for everybody to see. Oh, you know. I mean, I feel as if I feel as if the the, the very concept I've I've watched before. I've never watched this film, but I feel as if there's other films out there that's done something yeah, similar. A, a bit of the Cable Guy in there, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say that reminded the Cable Guy. Okay. Cable Guy's not bad. Yeah, the Cable Guy's all right. Okay, okay. we'll end on that one slash five star review for It, and that is our films and TV shows for this month, September. Thanks, guys, for joining me. And uh, for those listening, or our one listener, uh, feel free to check out our other things as usual. K-A-P-E-E-S-H dot online. That's Capiche dot online for the website. Lots of reviews, features, and things like that. And also check the, the rest of the podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and a few other services that we're also on. Thanks again, once again, guys, for joining me. We will be back in a couple of weeks for a film specified by myself. I've still to choose. I'm not sure quite yet, but I think I'm narrowing in on one or two. And we will be back in another month's time for our monthly catch-up of what we've been watching over October. Thanks until then. Take care. Bye-bye.